over 10 hours of wrestling today my brain is fucking fried hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the no spots weekly wrestling podcast this is episode 215 i am dc's people's champ i am here with you as always and i'm joined as always by my taxi partner to my left your right none other than the dark lord sith himself coming to us for the first time in two to three months from the alternate basement sith yeah welcome everyone to the alternate basement thanks for all followers chatters subscribers lurkers people listening on our audio platforms and people finding us for the first time a warm welcome to you all hey champ i gotta say this off the bat i was thinking out of in my head after watching the dinosaur film 65 that a lot of films so far this year are either good or mediocre okay nothing really great nothing really terrible and this was between good and mediocre. So the year-end list will be very intriguing film-wise if this keeps up. Champ, what's good to People Studios in the NBA? Good stuff. Like I said, I spent all day today watching a lot of wrestling. And like I said, I'm fried. My brain is fried. And I don't know. But either way, we're here. All right, so... We're here, we're here, we're here. Anyway, we got a lot to cover here on this podcast. Uh, I kind of gave it. I kind of gave away what we're doing uh, in our third segment at the end of the audio, uh, at, uh, towards the end of our Twitch stream. Uh, luckily, our audio listeners, I, they didn't get a glimpse, they didn't hear what I said. But if you were still hanging around in the Twitch stream, you know what we're doing in our third segment. But we're, I'm not going to say it just now. But in our news and notes, though, we're going to talk about uh, more. Uh, a lot that's been going on backstage at AEW. Uh, we're going to get into, into, into that. Uh, a current AE, uh, current AAA champion has been pulled from an indie event due to injury. Uh, a former WWE writer has dropped their lawsuit against uh, members and former members of WWE. Uh, a former uh, a former WWE superstar has departed uh, the the promotion. Uh, based on their what they said on social media and finally we will talk about the big news that came out friday of the arrest of one half of the aew world tag team champions cash wheeler <coughs> on an aggravated assault with a hand with a firearm uh charge that came out yesterday we'll go through the timeline and everything like that and give our thoughts on that as well in our news and notes segment on our new japan recap we're going to be talking about the full the full 
participants uh, for tonight's All-Star Junior Festival uh, that's taking place later on this evening in Philadelphia, plus the full card for that event, plus the full card for tomorrow's uh, Multiverse or Sunday's Multiverse United 2 uh, event. Plus, uh, New Japan announced another Australia show coming up. Uh, we'll tell you about that as well. Plus, uh, a new addition, a new addition of matches that have been added to the upcoming Destruction Tour, based off of what happened at the G1 Climax Final on Sat on this past Sunday. So we'll tell you about that as well in our New Japan recap. Then in our third segment, we have a special little retro re uh, a special. Retro Rewind, uh, we'll tell you what that Retro Rewind is in just a bit. It's an idea from the SIF that we've been trying to do for weeks now. Now we're finally going to get to. And then I will be driving the bus that is the Week in Review. Uh, and then, of course, we will go to have our final thoughts as well. So, without any further ado, referee, you know what to do. Ring the bell. All right, news and notes, and we begin with that uh, with more of this backstage stuff that's going on with AEW, more specifically involving one Phil Brooks, aka CM Punk. As you know, after last Saturday's collision event ended with FTR, with CM FTR failing to win the AEW World Trio Championships, CM Punk decided he was going to get on the microphone. And start talking some trash about the merch sales that that uh, Hangman Page has or lack thereof and stuff like that. And kind of, you know, kind of took the piss out of him a little bit. But uh, the video was leaked out there to social media, went viral. But apparently, according to a report from the flagship wrestling podcast, which is presented by Voices of, Re Voices of Wrestling, they revealed that Punk personally sent a text message apology to Hangman Page for the comments that he made after last week's collision show. Uh, the report also goes on to say that Punk was not happy with the way that uh, this promo was delivered and he felt that he shouldn't have touched on thing on uh, something such as merchandise sales and things like that so this is on top of a lot of things that have come out and being reported from you know what happened to show about cm punk possibly being responsible for sending home uh christopher daniels and uh ryan nemeth uh him and jack and jack perry having an argument backstage though after seeing what it was about, I can kind of understand it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, why is this Why is this happening? Uh, so there's a lot going on here and stuff like that, but, you know, this just seems to add to it. So, Sith, what, what, what do you have to talk about when it comes to this? We're shooting, Brian. We're we shooting now. Okay. So here we fucking go again. It seems as though CM Punk, Bill Brooks, just can't keep his ego in check at times. And there's other factors involved as well. It seems like no matter how much we try to give the guy leeway here at all, shit keeps coming out. And honestly, things need to be done here that people aren't going to like hearing at all. You see, the problem at AEW just isn't CM Punk, also known as Bill Brooks, it's not that easy at all just to point the finger at him. You see, there are other are particulars as well as one person poked the bear with trying to get heel heat, 
Sony wanted to go through real glass, supposedly. And, of course, the owner is a fucking mark. However, all that said, Punk is also without sin, though because, per the usual, his ego is a problem, and also his lack of professionalism backstage as well at times. First up, Ryan Emmett. That tweet was meant to get cheap heel heat. Okay. However, he wanted to talk outside the locker room to defuse the situation, which should have sufficed to clear the air over a tweet saying that Punk was the softest guy in the locker room. Punk, however, said, hey, allegedly said, hey, we can take this outside if we want. Ayo, Phil, you didn't last three minutes in the fucking octagon, so you aren't Randy the Natural Couture. Stop it already. You don't get confrontational like that over a tweet or X post, whatever the fuck that platform's called now. You pull someone aside, you clear the air, and it's done with. Where it comes to Jack, to the Jack Perry situation, I get you were worried, as were others, where it came to Jack's safety, where he wanted to use supposedly real glass instead of sugar glass. So I get where he and Tony Schiavone and others are going with this. But now I'm going to dig into some issues here that I have with Punk. Punk. Phil. It doesn't matter what role you have with AEW Collision here at all. It doesn't matter that you're allegedly the guy in charge of creative where it comes to AEW Collision. That all said, you don't have the authority to keep anyone out of the arena. Especially the head of talent relations, Christopher Daniels. Daniels is there to do a job, you twat waffle. Okay, so he's involved in the brawl after all that, but his suspension was way lighter than yours or the Bucks. Just saying. Also, the fucking promo after the show. When the cameras are off, you shouldn't be doing shoot promos for cheap hometown heat. As much as you probably didn't like Ryan Nemeth for trying to get cheap heat, Look in the mirror, because he did that last Saturday night after the show went off the air. Now, yes, you texted Adam Page, you apologized, and you said it wasn't a bright idea. Okay, I get it. What I don't get, though, is as much as I tried to give you the benefit of the doubt, you keep acting like it's 2011, and the world should still be in love with you. Newsflash, life isn't like that. Oh, and your ego is so fucking out of control at times that honestly, ego-wise, you're as bad as someone you claim to hate ego-wise. Some guy who calls himself the immortal, you know, orange and yellow savior. Not going to name his name. I hate the guy. No to Tony Khan. I respect you as a businessman. I respect you for jump-starting a pro wrestling alternative to WWE with the elite. However, if you're allegedly in guerrilla chanting for the wrestlers as they're about to go out and either wrestle or cut a promo, you're a part of the problem here. Also, the fact that the wrestling media is still getting leaks from anonymous sources of the drama backstage means that, honestly, there's people back there that don't respect you as a boss. If people respected you as a boss, the stuff wouldn't be leaked out like this. I know you won't find out who the rats are, but for fuck's sake, Tony, 
This drama is why I keep thinking you're running this as a TNA impact back when Dixie Carter and a bunch of old school WWE lifers in the company ran the promotion into the goddamn shutter. You're on the verge of a new deal. You really need to get things together. As we're focused on this in a legal issue that we're going to touch on in a little bit, as opposed to a history-making pay-per-view in eight days. I'm not saying fire punk, but saying that people below you, well, that will pull the, you need to get people below you that are going to pull in the reins on these guys. As Whitney says, Mary, mother of God. I'm going to yield the floor to champ, but God damn it. Enough is enough of the drama filled back AW backstage area. Good fucking grief. Champ. At the hydrant, as soon as he walks in, um, my man does that. He always uh, redeems hydrate. I mean, we all know who CM Punk is. We all know this. We found that out in his WWE run. Okay? We found we know this. And then we saw how he was at the all at all out last year. How he went scorched earth in <coughs> front of his boss with his boss literally sitting next to him with his jaw on the floor saying fuck all. Saying nothing, right? At that point, people should have realized that, okay, I don't know if CM Punk is going to be a good fit for what is a, a locker room that's still going through growing pains. This is going on his fifth year in existence, right? Fifth year. You can't have this kind of thing going on. Someone like a John Moxley or Chris Jericho needs to step up and go to Punk and say, dude, you, need to shut, you just need to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. They just need to do that. And if they don't want to do it, Tony needs to man up, grow a pair of balls, and go up to Phil and say, Phil, you need to shut the fuck up. Okay? We're getting tired of it. Shut the fuck up and just do your fucking job. Okay? That's what needs to fucking happen. Because right now, uh, CM Punk is just running around all wild thinking he got some all kind of pull. There's reports that. Even though Ace Steel was fired, he was brought back and stuff like that. Like, what What kind like, dog, I work, I've worked in HR for, for 11 years. When you fire somebody for cause, nine times out of ten, you're not rehiring them back. Because there's a reason you let them go in the first place. There was a place I worked at before where they had, when they fired you, they made sure to mark that you were not eligible for rehire. So that if you came back through the system to try to to apply for any job within that organization, that would pop and they would automatically disqualify you. This is not being run like a business. This is being run like high school. And it needs to stop. It just, it really needs to stop. Like something needs to be done about this. If not, this is going to continue. It's going to continue. It's going to continue. And then AEW is going to start to suffer. All right. So it's got to stop. All right. We're going to move on. And we're going to talk about a current AAA champ.
champion who was pulled from an in or in the event this weekend due to injury. We're talking about none other than the Triple A Mega Champion El Hijo de Vincenio, who, according to a tweet put out by Game Changer Wrestling, had to be pulled from this weekend's All Star event, uh, home homecoming event, due to an undisclosed injury. He was supposed to be a part of an All Star scramble with Ninja Mac. He was supposed to be part of the All Star Scramble with um, with Commander Ninja Mac, Gringo Loco, Ares, and Alex Zane on night one, which is taking place Saturday night in Atlantic City. But he had to be pulled due to injury, so some changes were made to the card. Zane was Alex Zane was also pulled from that match. He will now be in a one on one matchup against former Ring of Honor World Television Champion Tony Deppin, while Cole Radrick and Dante Leon have been added to the scramble match to compete against Commander Mac Loco and Ares uh, in that matchup. So the a lot of people were trying to figure out what happened to him after Triple Mania 31 was the contributing factor to his undisclosed injury, but it was re reported after he had had his uh, fatal four-way match to retain his mega championship against Speedball Mike Bailey, Jack Cartland, and Daga. He had passed out when he came back to the locker room, but it was reported via PW Insider that he was dehydrated and hadn't eaten enough heading into his, his title match. But they're still trying to find a correlation of whether his passing out after the match might have led to whatever injury he suffered that had him pulled out, be pulled out from this weekend's event. Uh, he is currently over, have been over been the AAA Mega Champion for over 600 days, having become the champion after winning this vacant title after Kenny Omega had to drop it against, uh, had to drop the title due to multiple injuries that he had to go and get uh, taken care of. So, Sith, uh, big blow to someone who is really gaining a lot of traction in the United States after in the United States after really getting making it big in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Vikingo's a hell of a wrestler. I'd seen clips of him from AAA, but as Champ could tell you, we really liked watching him in AEW. Champ, am I not right about that? Champ, hmm. yeah, am I not right that I, we love watching those Viking on AEW? Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You're, 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 there's no lie there. Yeah, I mean, he's a great wrestler. It doesn't matter that he's a luchador or anything like that. It goes back to something that Champ and I have said time and again. This is professional wrestling. It is not ballet. You are going to get injured at some point. It might be bumps and bruises day to day or something severe. So when the news hit that Viking, uh, Vikingo got injured, I thought it was like, fuck. Because he has literally been a good example of someone who has taken the reins, gotten a rocket, and launched up here. So hopefully the big guy gets well soon from his injuries because this really sucks. Not only for him, but also the fans as well, because the guy is a phenomenal fucking wrestler. Chill. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that this would have been a great showcase for him because GCW has such a great following. It's one of the more. It's one of the biggest. Uh, 
indie promotions on the East Coast. Uh, they do a lot of great shows. They have, you know, of course, John Moxley, as you know, spent a lot of time as their champion. Nick Gage is the face of that that uh, promotion and everything like that. I mean, they're they've really been they've really been stepping their game up, and the not be able to have someone the caliber of a El Hijo de Vincenio is. Um, it's heartbreaking, but you know, he's got to take care of himself and things like that. He has a very dangerous and very high risk style in the ring style. And a lot, there have been a lot of pundits that have come out and said that he, he needs to slow down because it's going to catch up to him as he gets older. So until then, you know, best wishes to him and hopefully he gets better soon. Uh, moving on. There have been a multitude of lawsuits filed against WWE recently, including the one that they have ongoing against uh, that's been brought to them uh, by Major League Wrestling uh, regarding their allegedly monopolizing the, the market so that they couldn't get a TV or streaming deal. But there's one lawsuit that they won't have that they particularly won't have to worry about for now. And that is the lawsuit that was uh, filed against them by former writer Brittany Abrams. Uh, it was uh, announced according to court documents released uh, this week. The Eastern, the uh, District Court of Eastern District of New York in the United States had granted a request to dismiss all claims and causes and causes of action against defendants by Brittany Abrams without prejudice, which means that her and her attorneys, which uh, she's being represented by the Cochran Group, can refile their case against Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Chris Dunn, Ryan Callahan, Jennifer Peppermint, Christine Lubriano, and Mike Heller at a future date and t- a day and time <coughs> as they wish. Um, the name, the, the people we I just named were the only ones, uh, the only claims that were dismissed by the motion filed by Abrams' legal team. So it is possible that Abrams and her legal team are keeping their claim against WWE as a company alive, hoping for some sort of settlement. Now the reason, um, now the reason behind that, and by the way, uh, Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics tried to get a comment from Abrams' legal team, but they had declined to comment, which means that there is still pending litigation with that lawsuit. Uh, the lawsuit was filed earlier this year claiming that uh, the company, along with the individuals that were named, discriminated and retaliated against her for bringing up the concerns that she had about offensive, outdated stereotypes and other crude, racially charged um uh, storyline pitches that came up during various writing, writers meetings while she was working with the company, including a pitch for Mansoor, who is a Saudi Arabian descent, was pitched to be responsible for some part of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. But now that she has dismissed part of this lawsuit against in the in certain individuals, but she still has an open for the WWE as well. Uh, Sip, what do you got to say about this? I think, and this is just me, she dropped the lawsuit that may have been the one that could have been a loss for her. I think her lawyer sat her down and said the lawsuit against WWE might be the better legal course of action here as opposed to the individual's name. I'm still disgusted as a human being. Setting aside professional wrestling fan, 
as a human being that you had Mansoor and this idea was brought up of him being involved with the 9-11 attacks when he only would have been seven fucking years old. Champ and I were disgusted when those things came out about what was allegedly brought up for storylines. And as I said, back then, I'll say it again, is it really that much of a shock? This is a professional, a sports entertainment company that has professional wrestling in it that loves to exploit anything and everything. Doesn't matter what the stereotype is. Doesn't matter if it's sexist. Doesn't matter if it's racist or xenophobic, whatever. They'll exploit shit. So hopefully the lawsuit against WWE stays. And hopefully it straightened things out. Straightened things out in Stanford. Because whoever stands by these storylines deserves to get it in the neck. Verbally. And monetarily. Champ. So here's why if they really tried to go through with that picture of Mansoor being responsible for a part of the terrorist attacks that happened on 9-11. Here's why that would have made zero sense. Mansoor's birthday is October the 28th, 1995. That day that happened, September 11, 2001, Mansoor would have been six, would have been five, going on yeah. six. Yeah. So think about that. Think about how dumb that would have been for them to say, oh, he was responsible for that at five years old. Mm-hmm. Like that. So not only like not only is she revealing how dumb and how narrow minded the writers were at the time that she was working there. But just Jesus Christ, like it's like you could tell it's like almost like open racism, like because he's mm-hmm. Saudi Arabian that they automatically say, oh, it makes sense that he would be looked at as a terrorist. Let's treat him like one. No, no. I really hope that uh, Abrams does um, find, does get. Uh, some kind of restitution from this because a pair a part another part of the lawsuit which i remember we reported on this when it first filed earlier this year was that she was fired for taking home one of the front row chairs at a major pay-per-view event and yet there were others who were not her skin color did the same thing and were still allowed to keep their jobs according to her lawsuit so clearly you know there's retaliation and things like that so hopefully she gets some kind of restitution from wwe for this we'll have to keep an eye on this and keep a a close eye on this and see what happens here uh uh Anything can happen within the next several months. This could drag on for a couple of years, actually. So we'll keep yeah. an eye on that. All right. Uh, a former sassy Southern Belle is now no longer a part of WWE, according to her own social media postings. We're talking about none other than Lacey Evans, who on Tuesday caught the wrestling world by surprise uh, when she decided to change her handles on social media to her real name of Macy Estrella and started posting things, believing that her contract was ending soon. But then on Instagram, she was very much more direct in what she was talking about, writing in the caption, quote, when the clock strikes 12, you will address me as Macy Estrella from here on out. She will go on to say, 
oh, uh, oh, and this jacket is up for grabs. Be on the lookout with a couple of emojis on there. The jacket had the, her wrestling name, a ring name of Lacey Evans. Uh, so apparently it looks as if that shirt time has all, has come to an end and she is moving on. Uh, Evans, who came, she came up through the uh, developmental system of WWE with NXT, never won a championship, uh, but had a bit of a push to start off her main roster run before it petered off. Uh, she actually had to leave. Uh, WWE in 2001 during the Thunderdome era because she was pregnant with her second daughter. Uh, she returned in 2022, dropping the whole sassy Southern Belle thing. She started off looking like she was going to be a white meat, sympathetic babyface, talking about her struggles growing up in life and things like that. And then all of a sudden, she had a gimmick change where she was then a heel and then a military heel and military baby. It was she was just all. All over the place. She had a few with Sergeant Slaughter and her and his daughter over the, her, her latest her last gimmick and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's just we gotta say about that, Sip, because yeah, that's crazy. This is another example of someone who came in through NXT, had the rocket attached to them for a little bit, but then when she goes against type and tried to be the sympathetic baby face the first time her career went down the toilet. Yeah. Because remember when she was doing this anti-bullying angle against Sasha Banks and Bailey and they were, you know, she was trying to do this anti-bullying story with them and everything as a baby face. That derailed her. Her her career started to go down then. Then in 2000, right before the pandemic hit, the angle with Ric Flair, that brought things down further. Now, I'm glad that she had a second daughter. That's awesome. Leaving her private life aside. Okay. But then... Going back and forth, babyface heel, babyface heel with these fucking characters. It goes to prove something that I've said time and again. If you're not top tier in the women's division of WWE, you're fending for scraps. Because they tried the babyface with I've had a hard life. They tried the baby face Marine. They tried the heel Marine. None of that worked after she came back from that pregnancy. But her problems started, I think, late 2019. You know, 2019, when she was feuding with Banks and Bailey, that's when it started. And the career just went. So I wish her nothing but the best in her future. Hey, guess what? Impact would book you better. I'm just saying. Champ? Yeah, I mean, Lacey Evans hasn't had the most uh, glamorous of runs in uh, in WWE, at least in the uh, on the main roster. I mean, even on the uh, in NXT, she was it was up and down for her and stuff like that. So. Uh, apparently, also like this is not the first controversy that she's had 
this is not the like she's had some a lot of controversies recently as well, including how a lot, uh, she put out an Instagram story that a lot of people felt was her downplaying um, mental illness, saying like listing seven things that people could do to fix mental illness. And I just read that, and I'm personally offended as someone who suffers from mental health issues. What she listed on there is complete and utter bullshit. That you just because you do those seven things, I won't suddenly wake up and say I have I don't have mental health issues no more. It just doesn't work that way, honey. It just doesn't. And she even had she even drew the ire of AEW's The Bunny, who put out a video in response to that without naming her by name. So uh, Lacey's got a little bit of a scarlet letter on her. So uh, if she does end up in another promotion. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be. I doubt it'll be AEW because I don't think Bunny want. I don't think she want to see Bunny face to face. And the way that they're oh, hell backstage no. is so turmoil has so much turmoil. Yeah, they have already have too much turmoil backstage. The last thing you need is for Lacey Evans who put that sh- shit like that out there and the Bunny to respond to it for them to be in the same fucking locker room. We don't need that. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're moving on and we're going to talk about the big story that broke on Sat on Friday morning uh, that Cash Wheeler was arrested and arraigned uh, on the charge of aggravated assault with a firearm uh, in, uh, in Orange County, uh, Orlando. The man who's uh, Real name is Daniel Wheeler. Um, was arrested on the on the charge after a road rage incident that took place on July the twenty seventh. Uh, and we I discussed this with Sage last night. So the road rage incident happened on July twenty seventh. The person who was the alleged victim in this uh, one, Daniel Mata, said that. Uh, that Wheeler had pointed a gun in his direction as part of that. The statement was released by the clerk's office for Orange County said, quote, uh, Meta stated he was driving west on Interstate 4 north of Exit 83. He noticed a Jeep uh, Gladiator weaving in and out of traffic, honking his horn, so he moved over to the far right lane to get to let the Jeep pass. Mata said the Jeep took the right shoulder to drive around him on the passenger side of his vehicle. Mata looked over and noticed a white male with a beard pointing a semi-automatic handgun out of the driver's window at him with a strong stare. Mata said he feared for his life, uh, end quote. He would go on to uh, to talk about how he tried to get out of the way of the vehicle, ended up behind the Jeep, took pictures uh, when the when the Jeep began to drive recklessly. Uh, Mata would go on to call 911 to relay the information. Uh, officers then would do a, line, a photo lineup uh, using an uh, uh, online database for information or investigate purposes where Mata was able to identify Wheeler uh, out of a lineup of random, uh, randomized order of potential uh, potential individuals, uh, and an arrest warrant was issued on July the 28th, and Wheeler turned himself in on August the 18th uh, to answer the charge. Uh, other news that came out of this is that his passport was not uh, surrendered; it was not taken from him, so there's still the possibility. That he will be at all in for his title defense with Dax Harwood for the AEW World Tag Team Championships against the Young Bucks, as well as he has been at. They have been advertised for not only uh, epi- uh, upcoming episodes of Collision, but also episodes of Dynamite and uh, Rampage. Uh, Seth, we were you sent the story to us like originally, like 
how shocking was this that we just seen Cash and Dax, they're on Dynamite, it's all good, and then suddenly two days later, Cash is under arrest for a, a, a felony of assault with a, uh, a handgun, or aggravated assault with a handgun. Hmm. Oh, my God. I saw this yesterday morning. Sent it to Champ and Donnie. And I'm like, no, this motherfucker. So here we go. I'm going to shoot. Okay. So Cash Wheeler's in a bit of trouble with the law as he was charged with aggravated assault with a firearm due to a road rage incident. Champ might agree with me with this. This is the chaser to the shot of what we had at the beginning of this week. And I've got a few things to say here. First up, AO, Cash, how do you fuck that up? How do you fuck that up? When this happened on July 27th, it had to have been known to Cash that he was going to be en route to London for all in more than likely, and he put a match in jeopardy. And why? Because he couldn't control his temper, brainished a handgun allegedly during a road rage confrontation. Going to go into something here that's slightly relatable in my actual life, then dress cash down. When I was living in the Pittsburgh area 11 years ago, well before the network was founded, etc., I was on the parkway with my girlfriend at the time, and the rush hour traffic was insane because of a few accidents. We were in stopped traffic, and a guy came out of his car, went to the car behind him, and started screaming at him. You could hear this guy a few cars behind that we were, and I was wondering, what the fuck was this guy's issue? Because this was totally insane. I get that road rage happens, but at no point should there be a confrontation that put that could put lives in danger. Especially in this day and age where some people will use guns to resolve their fucking issues. Sadly, Cash possibly decided to make a bad decision, it appears. It's up to the legal process to take its course as well as Tony Khan to step in as well. Note to Cash. This wasn't a good move at all, sir. I get it. Somebody pissed you off and you raged out, supposedly. I also get this is your first infraction with the law, and you have no prior criminal offenses. Okay, cool. However, you put the wrestling promotion you work for in a fucking grease spot here. We're going to get FTR Bucks 3, but at what cost? I'm astounded that you supposedly decided that brandishing a gun was a bright idea at the time. Newsflash, it wasn't a good idea at all, sir. A note to Tony Khan. I get that this is Cash's first offense. I think anger management is in need here. He got away with aggravated assault charges with a firearm here, but he needs help here if he thinks this is a way to resolve an issue. It isn't. I believe in due process as well as innocent until proven guilty, but regardless of how this turns out, Cash needs some help, needs help with controlling his anger at the end of the day. Hopefully Cash will learn from this and I concur with Sage. Odds are, FTR is losing next Sunday. It's sad to see someone that has a solid star shine 
fade to darkness like this. And that all said, champ, I yield the floor. Yeah, this is an unfortunate situation here for not just Cash Wheeler and his family, but for his partner Dax Harwood and his tag team FTR with having such a huge matchup in what is being considered one of the biggest events in pro wrestling history with All In, with ticket sales, according to reports, more than eclipsing the number that SummerSlam thirty, SummerSlam ninety two did when it was in Wembley Stadium. I mean, you have a huge event here, and you're one of the marquee matches, the rubber match between FTR and Young and the Young Bucks. Everybody wanted to know who was the better team uh, between the two when FTR was in WWE and Young Bucks were still running the Indies. But then FTR came to AEW, and here we are. They're having their rubber match. Um, and it's crazy to say that, you know, that we're sitting here talking about this. We should be talking about that matchup and what they're getting ready to do. But instead, we're talking about Cash Wheeler, who is up on a on a on a, on a what's what is described by as a third degree felony in the state of Florida is uh, aggravated assault with a fire, firearms, a third degree felony punishable by up to five years in prison, a five thousand dollar fine and or probation. Per, that's per the statutes of Florida. So it is a very, very interesting situation. AEW did release a statement uh, once the arrest happened and everything like that. They said, quote, AEW hasn't made aware of the charge and we are closely monitoring the situation. He is fully cooperating with local authorities, end quote. So, I mean, that's basically, I mean, that's all that AEW can come out with because we don't know what else, you know, we we don't at the time we only knew what we knew which was he got you know he got arrested for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon with, with a firearm mm-hmm. and i mean it's 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 tough it's a tough it's a tough situation but he's advertised uh FTR's advertised for collision advertised for uh dynamite so clearly uh this is not going to prevent him from still being able to work and to travel stuff like that so We'll see what happens moving forward in the next couple of days. Like I said, this only just went down on Friday. Monday, anything could change, and, the, and, the, and they, the courts can decide to restrict him from leaving the state, at which point then their appearances could be limited a or, a and or if he's restricted from leaving the, 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 the state, he may not even be able to leave the country, which means the matchup with uh, FTR and Young Bucks is out. And I'm sure they don't want that. But here we are. Here we are. All right. That's been your news for this week. Uh, We hope that you are very well informed of what's been going on with the news. Now it's time to switch gears and talk about New Japan. New Japan is getting ready for its All-Star Junior Festival and uh, Multiverse United cards are taking place this weekend in Philadelphia at the 2300 Arena. We have the full roster of, of participants that are taking that are going to be a part of the event tonight uh, on in Philly. Uh, as finally rounded, uh, as finally finished up as of this week, uh, Leo Rush was the last to be announced. He is a part of the. Uh, both New Japan Pro Wrestling as a member of Chaos as well as Impact Wrestling as X Division Champion. Uh, Casey Navarro was also added this week. He is the current Warrior Wrestling Champion. Kosei Fujita, who is now no longer a young line, has graduated from the Noge Dojo. He is beginning his um, 
excursion world tour in Philadelphia for the All-Star Junior Festival. Uh, former two-time cruiserweight champion of WWE, formerly known as Enzo Amore, now known as Real One. He will also be a part of it. He joins the uh, list that already includes Alex Shelley, the Impact World Champion, Bushi, Cheeseburger, Starboy Charlie, Jack Cartwheel, Francisco Akira, Fugaz, the DKC, Ryusuke Taguchi, Chris Bay, Kevin Knight, Sobrano Jr., Matt Seidel, Rich Swan, Ace Austin, Low Rider, TJP, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Robbie Eagles, Jordan Oliver, one half of the GH GCW Tag Team Champions, Mao, Yo, Clark Connors, one half of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Blake Christian, the GCW World Champion, Master Watto, the best of the Super Juniors 30 winner, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Hiromu Takahashi, the CMLL World Historic Welterweight Champion, Rocky Romero, the other half of the GCW World Ta uh, Tag Team Champions, Nick Wayne, El Desperado, Shun Skywalker, Mike Bailey, Doki, and Dragon Kid. Those are the individuals that are going to be a part of this year's All-Star Junior Festival, which is a sequel from the event that took place back in March in Japan at Corquin Hall. So with that being said, here is the full card for tonight's event. We will be kicking off the show at 6.30 Eastern with a 20-minute time limit singles match with, say, Vinny, Vinny Pacifico and Goldie. And then afterwards, there's no actual order of matches, but these are the matches that are on the card. You will have two first-round matches in the All-Star Junior Festival Tournament. They will be 30 minutes in, in length. You have Francisco Akira taking on Speedball Mike Bailey and Kevin Knight taking on Clark Connors and the other. The winners of those two matches will face each other in the final uh, later on in the evening. There will be a six-man tag team matchup. Starboy Charlie, Jack Cartwheel, and Real One all uh, free agents currently not attached to a, a, a Fed per se. They will be taking on the DKC, Rich Swan, and Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, we have a tag match. Mao and El Desperado team up to take on the GCW Tag Team Champions, the East-West Express, Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne. Matt Seidel teams with Yo to take on Bushi and Shun Skywalker. The Pats, King of Steaks, Philly Cheesesteak, Cup three-way. Yes, the Philly Cheesesteak Cup three-way tag team ladder match has a sponsor, and it's Pat's King of Steaks, the, one of the top two uh, providers of cheesesteaks in Philadelphia, Geno's being the other. But Pat's is sponsoring this one. It's Hiromo Takahashi and Rocky Romero versus Master Watson and Blake Christian versus Doki and Low Rider. We will have a lucky dip tag match where tag partners are going to be decided by random drawing in the ring. The eight participants are Kosei Fujita, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Alex Shelley, Robbie Eagles, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, TJP, and Cheeseburger. We have a and we have a five-way match that was the last match announced uh, on the card. It will be Fugaz, 
Leo Rush, Dragon Kid, Casey Navarro, and Sobriano Jr. in a five-way match with a 30-minute time limit. And that is what's going to happen on Saturday. Before we get to Sunday, a big announcement that on September 15th, one night only at the Crowbar in Sydney, Australia, Tamashi returns for one night only. Uh, the Australasian brand is going to the Crowbar in Sydney. Uh, with uh, Bullet Club's Rogue Army to do battle with prospects from the New Zealand dojo, plus uh, many local ind independent talents as well are expected to be a part of this event. That will be taking place on September the 15th. Limited tickets will are, are on sale right now, so make sure you check out uh, NJPW1972.com for more information on that. Uh, Sunday, we talk about the Multiverse United 2 for whom the bell tolls is a co-produced event with Impact Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. That card has been finalized, which we'll see in the opening kickoff match at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Joe Hendry, Heath, and Yuya Yurimura team up representing Impact, taking on Master Watto, Rocky Romero, and Ryusuke Taguchi representing New Japan Pro Wrestling. We will see for the Impact Digital Media Championship. That'll also be part of the kickoff show. Uh, Kenny King defending against Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Doki will be in a singles match against Sammy Callahan. Catch 2-2 will be a tag team match and taking on Robbie Eagles and Kosei Fujita of T. MDK. We will have an eight per eight man X division and junior heavyweight scramble. Frankie Kazarian, Bushi, Kevin Knight, Chris Saban, El Desperado, Mao, Rich Swan, and added over uh, on Thursday. On Thursday, yo. So that will be happening in the scramble. Also confirmed on Thursday, it will be a fatal four-way for the New Japan Strong Women's Championship. Julia, who was challenged by Diana Perrazzo over social media, but then challenged via video after Julia had a match for a stardom event this over the weekend. Not only was Deanna Perrazzo challenged, but also Giselle Shaw. Momo Kogo, who was part of the tournament to determine the first champion, also threw her name in the hat, and it was decided to put all of them in a match and let them go at it for the title. So Julia will defend the the North the in New Japan Strong Women's Championship in a fatal four-way against Deanna Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw, and Momo Kogo. We will have TMDK versus Impact, Zack Sabre Jr., the New Japan World TV champion, teaming with Shane Haste, one, uh, the one half of the number one contenders for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. They will take on Moose and Eddie Edwards representing Impact. It is Bullet Club versus the World. David Finley, the never openweight champion, teams with his fellow Bullet Club compatriots, Kenta, the Defy World Champion, Clark Connors, one half of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Champions, Alex Cogman, one half of the Strong Openweight Tag Team Champions, and Team ABC, Chris Bay and Ace Austin to take on the world team of Josh Alexander, PCO, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, El Phantasmo, and the DKC. We have a special tag match. Trey Miguel teams with the X Division Champion, Leo Rush, to take on the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Hiromu Takahashi and Speedball Mike Bailey in our what is expected to be our main event. Alex Shelley, the Impact World Champion, defends the championship against the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi. So that's what's going on on there. And then next up after this weekend for New Japan Pro Wrestling, it is on. They are on the road to destruction. Uh, their annual. Um, 
early fall tour where they go through all parts of Japan before they get to a major show in Kobe. And this year is going to be a major show in Kobe, Destruction in Kobe, and then a major show in Real Goku, Destruction in Real Goku. Me several matches were already announced for this card, which we talked about on the season finale of the G1 uh, Climax Recall podcast. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to our thoughts on that. But after we went off the air, uh, after we went off stream last on Friday night, uh, Sage and myself, it was announced that there's going to be a best of five. No. It's a best of seven series that has been created to pit the teams of Team Nagata, Yuji Nagata, Shota Umino, and Master Wato against Strong Style, Minoru Suzuki, Ren Narita, and El Desperado. Uh, only because of what happened at the G1 Climax final day, which saw, of course, Ren Narita and Umino have been fighting each other forever, forever, forever since they came back from Excursion. Uh, Nagata and, and Suzuki have been fighting each other for a very long time, and we already know the disdain that Desperado has for Master Watto. So it looks like now they're gonna get a chance, they're gonna get seven opportunities to go after each other. Uh it'll open uh, that their first matchup will take place uh on September the 10th uh in Toganchiba, which is the home prefecture for Yuji Nagata, and he is also producing his Blue Justice uh show again for the I believe the 13th year in a row. And this will be one of the headline matches of that show is um is strong style versus team Nagata for uh in their in their best of seven series. Uh let's see. Yes, yeah, this is a third this is a 13th uh produ production of the Blue Justice show and they will be in the main event of that show uh as a part of the best of seven series. So that was added in there along with all the championship matches and grudge matches that have been included uh, into this tour. All the cards and everything you can find at njpw1972.com. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be a pretty fun tour to look at. And just remember that once we finally get a schedule for World Tag League, we will let you know when we will return, when our New Japan podcast series will return with Sage for World Tag League and if it'll be a combined tour with World Tag League and Super Junior Tag League or not we'll have to wait and see Champ Yes You do know that El Fantasmo and, Ma and Master Wado those two what? have a rivalry that makes the punk versus the elite bullshit look tame yeah, but see, the problem with that, but see, the difference is that Phantasma and Watto can't really have a real rivalry because Phantasma is now a heavyweight, and yeah. Watto's still a junior. So that exactly. rivalry's over, that rivalry's over, but um, uh, one interesting note to, to, one interesting note is that Phantasma's going to challenge for, uh, uh, is going to actually challenge him and Hikaleo going to challenge for the Strong Openweight Championships during the, um, the Road to Destruction Tour. Ooh. So that's going to happen. Imagine, yeah, because now Phantasmal is apparently a part of GOD now. So, yep, Gorillas of Destiny for those uninitiated. Yep, well, that's your new Japan recap for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Now, to talk about what we're going to do with our segment before we get to our weekend reviews, the Sith had this, this bright idea, this brilliant idea. So, I'm going to let him tell you what we're about to do right now. All right, so in my crazy warped mind, I've either come up with a sadistic idea or a completely great idea. 
This week, Champ and I are taking the big four pay-per-views of WWF 1999. That's right, folks. And we're reviewing the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. This should be fun because some things will age pretty well. Others, eh, not so much. Possibly all depending on how Champ and I see things. So let's hop into the time machine. Let's see where this all lands. Champ! Well, I will say off the break, before we even get to uh, to talk about Royal Rumble, that storyline with the Big Show and Boss Man would never fly in 2023. No, sir. Never. No. Ever. Oh, wait to get to my question about that, though. You're going you're gonna to walk off for a minute and go, all right. Just well, wait. let's begin. Let's begin with, of course, the first pay per view of 1999, which is the Royal Rumble. Uh, the Royal Rumble event itself had a total of nine matches. You had one dark match that was for the live crowd itself. You had two matches that were part of Sunday Night Heat, which back in the day that was their pre-show was Sunday Night Heat. Yep, they would have the matches on the USA Network, and then you would have to switch over to the pay per view to watch the pay per view. Um, so, and then we had, uh, we had the, uh, six matches on the main card with five of them being not with one being a regular singles match four being championships. And of course the one matches the main event, which was the Royal Rumble match itself. So the dark matches, you had Christian defeat Jeff Hardy in a singles match in 11 minutes flat and then your two heat matches were the job squad defeating too much it was bob holly and scorpio defeating brian christopher and scott taylor it's so funny that in early january they were known as too much by the time we got the survivor series they were too cool so it tells you how much happens in a 10 month span that they go from too much to too cool that match was three minutes 52 seconds and then mankind was uh basically put into an ambush to take on Mabel. He won it by disqualification, but it was to soften him up for his WWF championship. I quit match against the rock. That will be later on in the show. This went five minutes and four seconds. We're past that. Now it's time to look at the main car itself. We open up with the big boss man taking on the Road Dog, uh, Road Dog Jesse James in a non-title match because Road Dog was hardcore champion at the time, but it was a non-title matchup. The match was back and forth. It felt longer than it seemed. It went 11 minutes and 52 seconds, but to me, it felt a little longer than that. It felt like it dragged on and dragged on before Boss Man was able to hit his Boss Man slam to get the victory over Road Dog. Uh, Sid, what did you think about this opening contest? All right. Context for all these pay-per-views real quick. I worked near this bar where you had a whole ton of pool tables. You could watch pay-per-views for like a $10 cover, drinks, food, whole nine yards, right? One thing that I missed that I got to see here, though, champ, Road Dog cutting the promo on the way to the ring. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't get that much anymore. Sure, the first of many, you know, suckets, you know, for 1999, DX was in their heyday here. Both guys were doing double duty as both would be in the main event, which we will get to. This was a wild opening match where a title was not up for grabs, and we had shenanigans galore from exposed turnbuckles to biting a nose. Hey, at least it wasn't Haku level, and, well, we're not going to go there. But yeah, 
This along with the main event were the only non-title matches on the card. Champ. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it felt like it dragged on, but it wasn't bad. I mean, the match was yeah. fair for what it was and for the era that it was. It was pretty good. And I mean, you know, Boss Man was always around the whole, the hardcore title scene and things like that. And I remember this era of, of WWE, uh, WWE when it was WWF, when the hardcore title was actually a fun was actually fun to watch, only because it didn't have that twenty four seven shit attached to it, where you're getting quick ass pinfalls. You're actually getting people beating the shit out of each other and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, even though this match wasn't it, but that's I just had to reminisce on that. All right, next we will have our first of four championship matches on the card. It would be for the Intercontinental Championship. Badass Billy Gunn challenging Kid and Shamrock for the championship. Uh, Billy Gunn was already coming in with an ankle injury. And with Shamrock, his finishing maneuver was the ankle lock submission. Of course, Shamrock would work on that ankle quite a bit throughout the matchup. Billy would show off his strength and his versatility and would try to stave it off. But after Shamrock locked in the ankle lock on his injured ankle, Billy Gunn had no choice but to tap out. The match lasted 14 minutes and 23 seconds, and Ken Shamrock retained his Intercontinental Championship. How did you feel about this match? This was another one of those matches where you had good chemistry. An okay story, although it felt like Jerry Springer, to say the least. Uh, thank you, Vinny Rue. Uh, Shamrock and Gunn haven't really changed after all these years, when you think about it. Shamrock uses his MMA experience, but also his wrestling skills. Gunn still has a ground attack after all this time as well. But Champ, I'm sorry to say this, but the story surrounding Shamrock's sister, it doesn't age well in this day and age, but the match is entertaining overall. Yeah, I mean, it, this was a it, this was an entertaining matchup. I really enjoyed it, and um, it really goes to show you that Ken Shamrock was very underrated towards the tail end of his mm -hmm. run in WWF. I mean, really, really underrated. He was a tag champion. He was IC champion, and I mean, I think that he was much better towards his tail end because he didn't talk so much because he wasn't the best talker. He wasn't the best talker, but he did he did his work in the ring. And stuff like that. He did his work in the ring and he, he handled his business. All right. Next up, we will have for the WWF European Championship, X-Pac, the champion, defending against Gangrel. This was a much shorter championship matchup. Went five minutes, 53 seconds with X-Pac hitting the uh, X-Factor out of the powerbomb position to finish off Gangrel and give him the victory to retain his championship. Thoughts on this one, Seth? Uh, yeah, fun mid-card title match here, and I still think the yelling in X-Pac's theme was by Zach DeRocca, Rage Against the Machine, if you know, you know. Gangrel's entrance is still lit with the brute entrance and drinking cafe blood and spitting it out to the crowd. This was a match that was short, sweet, to the point, and really after 24 years, I enjoyed it more now than I did back then. Champ. Yeah, I mean, this was a short matchup, but it was quite enjoyable. And again, it really shows you the characters that you got in this in this era with Gangrel. But X Pac was a really X Pac really ever since he had came back to WWE in '98, you know, really stepped up. It was really really a, a, a pillar for this industry, you know, especially for for a guy not the size of the optimal 
wrestler that Vince McMahon wanted. You know what I'm saying? So there you go. All right, next up, we would have we would um, it would look like we was going to not have this match but it was going to be a strap match for the WWF Women's Championship Luna Vachon had attacked Sable earlier on in the night and looked like Sable wasn't going to make it Shane McMahon came out and said Sable was going to going to forfeit the championship Sable came out and said ring the bell they would have the strap match and Sable would manage to get all four corners with the help of a, an unidentified lady at the time that would be later revealed that her name was Tori who was a big fan of Sable, she would help uh, Sable to win the stave off Luna, get the final <coughs> turnbuckle, <coughs> and Sable would retain the women's championship. Four minutes and 43 seconds was the match time. Sip, uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, boy. WWE circa 1999, where it comes to the women's division, excessively hit or miss. This was kind of in the middle. I mean, Shane coming in to say Sable isn't cleared was funny to see if Sable would forfeit. I love a good strap match, okay? Shane on commentary, funny as hell, because he was in character at the time. He was there. Did its job in storytelling, which was decent. Little does Shane know he would get his hands dirty in actual wrestling in due time. But... Uh, knowing what we know now, I don't think Sable ever wanted to be in a fucking match. Champ. Yeah, I mean, this match was bowling shoe ugly, if anything. And Luna Vachon, mm -hmm. who has been a wrestler for so long, she tried to carry that the best she could, but even she couldn't carry that. That was oh. just... And wait till we talk about WrestleMania and that hot mess. Anyway, but that's all I'm going to say about that. Sable remains the champion. And we move on to what was one of the matches of the night, which was the I Quit match for the WWF Championship. Mankind defending against The Rock. I mean, everything about this match was great from the, the spots, including this, and, and then the always, and then putting the microphone in their face, asking if they quit, and then yeah. fight, you know, coming back. Like The Rock's like, Get that piece of shit off! He's, he's like, like the rock. You, you can kiss the rock says you can kiss his ass. <laughs> or man, kind of saying, "Yeah, go to hell, rock. <laughs> You're gonna have to kill me." And then, the, of course, we all know the famous ending spot where. The Rock handcuffs Mankind's hands behind his back like he's a criminal. Uh, it was, I still laugh at the, that part where when he's trying to do that and Earl Helton is trying to tell him to stop, but he's telling him to piss off. And then when he keeps telling him to stop, he jumps at Earl Helton and tells him, shut up! <laughs> then he handcuffs yeah. Mankind's hands behind his back. Mankind still managed to get some offense on him, but in the end it was multiple, and I mean multiple, chair shots unprotected to the head of mankind again shit like that would never fly in 2023 unless it's a death match in gcw otherwise in a major promotion not happening anyway yeah. but multiple chair shots and we all saw the uh the documentary beyond the mat where uh mick foley's wife and children were sitting front row and the horror that they felt seeing their, their their her husband their father getting treated like this and stuff like that but in the end it would he would pass out after one more chair shot to the head 
and The Rock would use a pre-recording of Mick Foley yelling, I quit, to play off that Mick Foley was saying, I quit, even though he was unfucking conscious And The Rock, in 21 minutes and 47 seconds, became a two-time WWF champion. He would yell at the referee to say, now you get your monkey ass to the ring and award the WWF champ. Sif, your thoughts? This was a fun match to rewatch, but fuck me. The chair shots to the head, which were repeatedly done, doesn't age well at all. I know. I know. For the time period, it was acceptable. But if we knew then what we know now, I doubt these persistent shots to the head would be allowed. A note to Mick Foley. You mean to tell me that German suplexes are more dangerous than chair shots to the head? Depending on how you land with the German, I disagree with you, sir. Rock and Mankind, they had major bangers back in the day. This is no different, but the trick is exposed. Foley saying I quit came from heat earlier that night before the show went on. So it was there in the arena to stop the match. But overall, you take away the repeated chair shots that are fucking brutal. You get to see heel rock the way I love him. You get to see Mankind, Mick Foley, who is one of the biggest creative underrated minds of all time in pro wrestling. Take away the chair shots. I love this match. Champ. I mean, this match is legendary. I mean, it's crazy mm-hmm. because the rock the rock and mankind for most from, from December of ninety-eight through February of 99 were trading the WWF championship for those who really who've been following WWE uh, WWE as long as we have knows that their rivalry even though it was a short rivalry it was still a legendary rivalry between these two. And it all stemmed from the fact that mankind got screwed over by the corporation and he needed to fight back. And that's yeah. what he did. And, I mean, it was just back and forth between the two. We all know that the, the legendary moment on January the 4th of, 2000, of, of 1999 where Tony Schiavone famously gave away the spoiler that Mick Foley was going to win the WWF title on an episode of Raw and said famously that, quote, that'll put butts in seats, end quote, led to the rating shift that would be the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. Everybody tuned in to see the moment that the underdog Mick Foley with the help of Stone Cold Steve Austin would become the WWF champion, which led to this matchup. And this matchup is, is one of the legendary matchups in this rivalry because of the brutality and the violence, especially towards the end with the multiple unprotected chair shots. Also, we go back earlier on in the match. Mick Foley get punched off of the, the stands into a, a electrical circuit board and it going into sparks and stuff and the lights going out. I mean, everything about this match is just legendary. And the crazy part about this being so legendary is that Neither man had to go on a ladder and jump off and throw and uh, through a table or none of that shit. They no. just kept it really simple, but it was simple and effective. And that's what made this match what it was. Honestly. 
Yeah. All right, now it's time for the Royal Rumble match itself for a shot at the WWF Championship. The running storyline that was going into this matchup was the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin was the number one entrant and that Mr. McMahon tried to lobby to be at number 30. He would end up being made number two by then-Commissioner Shawn Michaels, and <laughs> China would win a uh, qualifying battle royale to become number 30 and become the first woman in the history yeah. of WWF to be entered into the Royal Rumble match. Here were the entrants in order uh, uh, in order of entry. You had, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin was number one, McMahon number two. Then you had Golga, Draws, Edge, Gilbert, Steve Blackman, Dan Severn, Tiger Ali Singh, the Blue Meanie, uh, what was supposed to be Headbanger Mosh ended up being Mabel, Road Dog, Gangrel, Kurgan, Al Snow, Goldust, The Godfather, Kane, Ken Shamrock, Billy Gunn, Test, Boss Man, Triple H, Val Venus, X Pac, Mark Henry, Jeff Jarrett, D'Lo Brown, Owen Hart, and China. The order of elimination is as follows. Golga was the first to be eliminated. Then Gilbert by Edge. Golga yeah. was eliminated by Austin. Gilbert by Edge when he went up on a thing to try to be like Goldberg. And Edge just flipped him over and said, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan Severin. Steve Blackman, Tiger Ali Singh, and the Blue Meanie were next up, all eliminated by Mabel, who came in at number 11. Right. Number seven was Draws, also by Mabel. Mabel eliminated five. Look, Mabel eliminated six people. Yeah. He eliminated six. He eliminated six five Bamas in here before he got eliminated uh, by. Well, Edge was. Um, Edge was next eliminated by the Road Dog, but then Mabel was eliminated after uh, the Undertaker decided to come out and have Bradshaw Farouk and Midia jump him, and he got eliminated before he would be taken away by them. Stone Cold would return later on. Um, Gangrel was next eliminated by Road Dog. Uh, Al Snow was also eliminated by Road Dog next, and then the Road Dog would be eliminated by Kane. Kurgan, who came in, was also eliminated by Kane. And then Kay would eliminate the Godfather and Goldust before eliminating himself to run away from White Coast that were chasing him because they thought he was crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so he got eliminated. But then Austin, after coming back from the hospital, came in and cleaned house. Ken yeah. Shamrock, Billy Gunn, and Tess were the next to go at his hands. A big Boss Man eliminated X-Pac. Triple A eliminated Jeff Jarrett. Mark Henry was uh, had eliminated China after she came into the match. Then number 23 eliminated... Well, Mark Henry was eliminated by China. And then China was eliminated by Austin. Triple H would then eliminate Val Venus. Uh, but then Triple H would be eliminated by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Owen Hart will also be eliminated by Steve Austin. D'Lo Brown was eliminated by the Big Boss Man. And then the Big Boss Man was eliminated by, I believe it was Austin. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was eliminated by he was eliminated by Stone Cold Steve Austin, which left Mr. McMahon and Steve Austin. They would beat he would beat the crap out of Vince McMahon until The Rock came down. The Rock decided to get involved in everything, and then out of nowhere came Mr. McMahon, and out of in the most shocking of results you could ever think of. Mr. McMahon, the number two entrant in the Royal Rumble, wins the Royal Rumble, last eliminating Stone Cold Steve Austin. The match went a lot of time of 56 minutes and 38 seconds. Austin had the most eliminations in the matchup with eight. <laughs> so, but ends up losing the 30-man Royal Rumble match. Seth, what were your thoughts? Now we get to the big one, the match that had a crazy storyline in this year's Royal Rumble in 99. Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon took a turn here. These cats were number one and number two, respectively. Champ, remember the bounty with whoever would eliminate Stone Cold from the match? I was going to mention that in my thoughts, but go ahead. Go ahead with yep. that. Vince, look, that dude was roided up like a motherfucker. Let's just be honest here. He was roided up like a motherfucker. You can't tell me any different. All in all, though, this was a lot of insane fun. And this was partially cinematic before it was a thing. And having McMahon on heel commentary for a spell, that was fun as well. Good shit, and it was a blast. Champ? Yeah, that was one of the things I forgot to mention. And like one of the other storylines is that this man put up $100,000 from Shane McMahon's trust fund to anybody who could eliminate yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin. And because The Rock was partially responsible for Austin's uh, elimination, the next night on Raw, he vowed to present uh, The Rock with that money. But it turns out it got stolen by Mankind, who used it as a bargaining chip for a rematch for the WWF Championship. So yeah, it was a lot that it was a lot that happened uh, when it came to that. Uh, a lot of storylines uh, started to really go to started really go after the Royal Rumble, such as that uh, the, the Rock's money being used as a bargaining chip for uh, for that and stuff like that. Uh, he also Vic McMahon decided he's going to vacate his right to challenge. The Rock at Summer at WrestleMania yeah. for the championship, but then Michael said, "Nah, you can't do that. It'll go to Stone Cold Steve Austin." But then Austin said he's gonna put up his right for the, the challenge for the title if he faces Vince McMahon in a cage match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and if he loses, he'll give up his right to that matchup. We also, you know, found out about the uh, you know Mankind's voice being used as uh, recording you being used to say that he quit when he didn't and stuff like that. So a lot of things that happen, uh, a lot of things that happen within in the aftermath. But uh, let's look at final grades for uh, Royal Rumble 1999. Seth, when I first watched this pay per view live, came out in '99. I loved it. You know, watched it a few years ago, didn't like it. We watched it a few weeks ago, though. There was plenty to like, although certain things, they don't age well at all. About the only matches I would regulate to regular TV, X-Pac versus the Big Boss Man, as well as Luna Vacon versus Sable. But other than that, this was a good pay-per-view to rewatch. And honestly, if you want to see what I consider, consider... One of the better Royal Rumble matches of them all. Give this one a watch. 
B-minus is the grade here, but damn, some really good nostalgia watching this. Champ? Uh, I'm going to go with a B. I'm going to go with a B here. I think that the WWF title match and then such all the intrigue of the Royal Rumble really carried the show. Bossman versus Road Dog was a fair opening matchup. X-Pac Gang Grill, despite it being under six minutes, was still a really nice match. Uh, Ken Shamrock showed how underrated he was towards the end of his WWF run. Uh, but I honestly think that if you take away Sable versus Luna strap match, I think if you take that match away, I think this is a, at least a B-plus pay-per-view, honestly. Yeah. That, that women's title match drags it down quite a bit, but not that far down because Rocket Mankind carried this fucking pay-per-view with yeah. the performance that they put on. They carried this pay-per-view. Uh, and then the Royal Rumble match... It's what it was, but it had because it had such an intriguing storyline. You had Austin getting jumped in the bathroom. You're thinking he's gone. He's not coming back. He comes back, gets all those eliminations, and then the shock ending. It's 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 just it's it's a B for me. It's a B for me. Yeah. All right. So now we know that you know there were all the things that happened out of Royal Rumble that led to what happened at WrestleMania. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about WrestleMania 15 uh, taking place in Philadelphia. As you know, this uh, the upcoming WrestleMania in 2024 is going to be back in Philly for the first time in 25 years, but this time not at the Spectrum Center like it was in 99, but it will be at, at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. But here we had a very stacked card. Of course, we had no dark matches, but we had two matches on heat, but then we had 10 matches on the main card, the two heat matches saw Jacqueline take on and defeat Ivory in a singles match. The match didn't even go 90 seconds. It was 1 minute 23 Boom. seconds. And then they had a battle royale to determine <coughs> who would challenge Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart for the WWF Tag Team Championships on the main card. And after Draws and Godfather eliminated themselves, the unlikely team of D'Lo Brown and Test were uh, named the new the winners and number one contenders. The battle royal went four minutes and fourteen seconds. Okay, main card now, and we talk about the we open with the hardcore championship triple threat hardcore match. It was Billy Gunn defending against Hardcore Holly and Al Snow. A good back and forth matchup uh, that saw Hardcore Holly win the championship to become the hardcore champion. The match was seven minutes and six seconds. Sith. What did you think about this opener? This was a fun way to open up WrestleMania 15 with a hardcore match. Sure, we can't have these matches in WWE anymore at this depth and extent. It's still a fun match to revisit, more or less. The shots, weapons to the head aside, fun to relive the fact that I was shooting pole, having some good food, a couple of beverages, and just enjoying the night. Champ. Yeah, I mean, really good way to open. To, it's a really good way to open things up. I honestly, you know, again, like like Seth said, matches like that you really can't put on too much in 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 the current format of 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 wrestling. But this was a style that was all of its own back in, the, in these times, and it really worked out. And it worked out well. It was funny because you know Billy Gunn 
at the first big four pay-per-view was challenging for the IC championship. Then in this big four, the second big four pay-per-view, he's coming in as a champion, the hardcore champion, uh, but he ends up losing it in this matchup. So there you go. All right, next up, the aforementioned D'Lo Brown and Tess, who won that battle royale on Heat. The, they were challenging Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett for the tag team championships, and it was the old, the old trope of can they coexist? Can they get along? And the answer was hell no, they could not. Nope. <laughs> Tess and D'Lo Brown could not get along, and it ended up costing them as Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett were able to retain their championships in just under four minutes, 3.58 the yeah. official match time. Sith, your thoughts? So what do you know? <laughs> the trip of can they coexist ex existed back in 1999. Here's D'Lo Brown and Tess. I maintain lost this match not only because of Sunday night heat before the show, but also because, honestly, their foundation wasn't strong on screen for a tag team. Jarrett and Hart, really good tag team champions together. They look solid. Decent match, to say the least. But is it one that you're going to revisit? Eh, probably not. No, I wouldn't revisit it. And I agree. <laughs> I, Owen and Jeff. They were definitely solid tag team champions. They seemed like an odd, odd pairing, but they worked so well. And of course, you know they also worked very well when you have Deborah in your corner, dressed half naked with big, with big breasts and stuff in your face. I mean, I would, yeah, you know, it is what it is. All right, next we would have what would be the basically the end of a certain somebody's career in WWF. It was the brawl for all match between Butterbean and Bart Gunn. Oh, fuck me senseless. This was hard. Listen, it was hard to watch in 99. It was even harder to watch today, especially <laughs> knowing what would happen to Bart Gunn after. Yeah. Um, especially watching the dark side of the ring about this fucking event, this whole fucking charade of an event. Jesus Christ. Of course, we all know the match famously went 35 seconds because after Bart Gunn got knocked out once, he had a standing A cow. He came out the corner and Butterbean caught him with one good right hook and Bart Gunn, his, just like his career, was dead. Yeah. Well, not dead, but he was knocked the fuck out. And it, Butterbean ended up winning the match. Smokey's way. Nah, I'm not saying it's Smokey's way. I'm, leaving, I'm letting Smokey have his gimmick. <laughs> but anyway, but nah. Bart Gunn got knocked the fuck out, like yes. legit knocked the fuck out. And Butterbean ends up winning it. And shortly after that, Bart Gunn would never be seen in a WWF ring again until 2007. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, Sith, there ain't much to say, but go ahead. Hey, Vinny Rue, I hope you're happy with yourself here because 24 years later, this match is still an absolute fucking waste of time. It's a 35-second burial because of what happened here is that Barkun paid the price for beating Dr. Depp Steve Williams in the Brawl for All tournament the year before. So this was payback, essentially. Definitely one of the worst WrestleMania matches of all time. A top five worst match of the 90s WrestleMania era, easily. Having the San Diego Chicken knocked out after the match, just fucking stupid I mean dark side of the ring profiled the this whole fucking tournament 
And it goes back to something that was said by someone that we refer as to the cock. When you take work, when you take wrestlers that are trained to show, not go, and you put them in the ring with cash prizes, people are going to get injured. Legit. And sadly, a lot of people got injured. And here, Bart Gunn, he was fucked. Champ. Yeah, Bart Gunn went on record on Dark Side of the Ring and said that this was punishment for him beating mm-hmm. Dr. Death Steve Williams because they were supposed to put the rocket ship up Steve Williams' ass uh, to have him go up against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, but instead, he not only got knocked out, but he also got injured and he kept him out and ended up derailing his WWF career. And so in turn, Bart Gunn's WWF career ended up getting sh- getting fucked. And there you go. All right, next up will be a singles match between the Big Show and Mankind with the winner uh, becoming the special guest referee for the WWF Championship No Disqualification main event of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, This was basically all Big Show for most of this matchup. Mankind did have some offense. But it took, but Big Show ended up losing his cool, choke slamming mankind through st- chairs like locked in together, yeah. forcing a disqualification. Mankind would be declared the winner after the matchup. Vince McMahon would come out and would be verbally berate the Big Show. He would slap him one time, and Big Show like he's about to choke slam, but then came to his senses. And then Vince McMahon, instead of just realizing, maybe I should piss this big man off, he tree-pissed the big man off, and he ended up getting knocked the fuck out with a right hand. So there you go. Big Show ends up getting arrested later on in the night for assault, and there was that. What did you think about this one, Seth? This match was six minutes and 50 seconds. All right. Winners, a special guest referee for the main event, by the way. Yeah. It was good while it lasted, but I get the need for a DQ finish 24 years later. I was pissed saying this shouldn't happen on a fucking pay-per-view. I was drinking a screwdriver, shooting some pool watching this match 24 years ago. A DQ, this is how you end it, that's fucked up. After the match, though, it made all sense because of the face turn of the Big Show. He might be Vince McMahon, damn it, but hey, Vince McMahon, you got knocked the fuck out. Yep. The post-match really brought things up after the DQ finish. Champ? I mean... Looking at it from 24 years ago, it's like you sit there and be like, why are they doing this kind of fish? But then when you think about it, the fact that the big show was such a big dominant force, you don't want to derail that character build by having them lose clean to someone smaller than him, no matter the the stature of mankind or whatnot. You just don't have that happen. So the DQ finish, when I look at it later on in life, after watching so much wrestling over the years, the DQ finish made all the sense in the world because then it facilitated the face turn of the Big Show with McMahon coming out, verbally berating him, slapping him twice. And Big Show said, I've had enough of this shit. I'm not about to take this shit anymore, period. So that's the way I look at that. All right, next up, we had our Four Corners elimination match for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Road Dogg, Jesse James defending the championship against Goldust, Ken Shamrock, and Val Venus. Now, this match has so many intertwining stories in this bitch. It's wild. Okay, so let me see if I can get them all out there before we move on to talk about the match. Right. Ryan Shamrock had a thing with Val Venus. Ken Shamrock ain't like that shit. 
So he, him, and Val, him and Val were, were beefing. But then Ryan didn't like her, that her big brother was interfering with her life. She was rolling with Val. But then Val, being a typical dude, got tired of the relationship and decided he ain't want nothing to do with her no more. So then she goes and starts fucking with gold dust. But in the meantime, now the Blue Meanie's calling Gold Dust Mommy or some shit like that. And they got a little weird thing. And now Ryan's in the middle of that shit, right? But all of this is intertwined around the Intercontinental Championship and Road Dog, who just has shit to do with this except he's a champion. I hope I made, I hope I made all of that very clear. Because that's what was going on between, like, between the Royal Rumble, after the Royal Rumble, and here. Because, by the way, Val Venus and Ken Shamrock had a match for the IC title at uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre where Ken Shamrock famously yelled instead of whispered to Ryan Shamrock to slap him, and it was caught on camera. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, so we came to the match. The match with 9 minutes and 47 seconds. What happened was uh, Val Venus and Goldust and it, like Val, Ken Shamrock and Val Venus ended up getting double counted out after uh, Ken Shamrock snapped as he always did and kept going after him. By the time he got to the ring, the ref was already at eight and it suddenly counted nine, ten real fast. And Ken Shamrock and Val Venus were counted out, leaving Goldust and Road Dog. Ryan Shamrock would accidentally trip Goldust, thinking it was Road Dog. It led to Road Dog hitting the doggy style pump handle slam, and Ryan and uh, Goldust getting pinned, and Road Dog retaining the championship. And then Goldust would kick Ryan Shamrock to the curb, which would later lead to her joining Terry Reynolds and Jackie to form PMS, Pretty Mean Sisters. Let me tell you how much of a fail that was. Well, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time for that, but we're that's for another day and another time. Anyway, yeah. What did you think about our four corners elimination match for the Intercontinental title? Way the fuck out there. You know, with all the stories that were happening at the time, again, you have to remember they creative at the time. They wrote the shows based off what they saw in Jerry fucking Springer. Sure, you could say that the gimmicks don't age well as they used to, but champ, this is the Attitude Era. Deep down, I enjoyed this match about the same as I did when I first aired on pay-per-view, but this was decent. It doesn't knock me off my feet like it did back in 99, but I still had a good time with it. Champ. Yeah, I mean, the match, like I said, the match had all kind of storylines intertwined. It all revolved around Ryan Shamrock. Uh, but in the end, Road Dog walked out still the champion, which is funny because at Royal Rumble, he was the hardcore champion. He walks into this match as the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, and then we'll talk about what he did at SummerSlam and then what he did at Survivor Series. So I'm going to just give you a spoiler now. Three out of the big four pay-per-views, Road Dog was a champion of some sort coming into the event. So yes. they, so Road Dog had a pretty good fucking year in 1999. I will have to say. All right, next up was the grudge match between Triple H and Kane. Uh, Kane, part of the corporation. Well, he was part of the corporation, but it was kind of a, a strange. But he still had China had his back. He thought 
but I like the video. I like the packaging they showed before the match, showing how Kane burned China and then Triple H burned him. Uh, and then before the matchup, it was Kane was walking to the ring. The fucking San Diego chicken comes out to try to attack him. It turns out to be Pete Rose. And for the second year in a row, Pete Rose gets fucked up with a tombstone. It's like, Pete, go on. Get out of here. And by the way, yeah. I looked this up because um, they made a comment. Michael Cole and Jerry King Lawler made a comment about his, uh, long, his history and figured how long he's going to keep this up forever. And I looked him up. Pete Rose is still alive. He's 82. I thought keep he passed away a long time ago. Yeah, no, no, we're not. We're, I'm not advocating him trying it again with Kane because Kane's were pretty much retired, and now is a gov is like a mayor down in Tennessee. So I wouldn't want to recreate that anyway. Bad. But I don't want to recreate that anyway. But I just had I just had to look him up just to see like what was going on with that. But anyway, had the match. Match was really much uh, straightforward, back and forth. But here's the thing, and I didn't notice this 24 years ago, but I noticed it when I rewatched it. And by the way, I rewatched WrestleMania last night. I was supposed to rewatch it earlier this week, and and but I ended up having to binge watch WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Royal Rumble within the last 24 hours. WrestleMania mm-hmm. last night, and then SummerSlam and uh, Survivor Series today. That's why I ended up watching over 10 hours of fucking wrestling because I was watching SmackDown, I was watching Collision, I mean Rampage, I was watching Impact, and I watched those two pay-per-views. God damn. Yeah, that's why my brain was so fucking fried because I had because I completely forgot that I had to keep watching those those pay-per-views and I had to binge watch them so we could do this this segment. Anyway, Kane looked like I he was in control. That, yeah, that's why I was asking if we were watching include yeah. King of the Ring. No. If we had to include King of the Ring, I'd have been fucked. No, I I'd knew been completely fu- I didn't yeah, no. even write that shit up. So. Good. Thank God, because I'd have been fucked if you included King of the Ring. I'd have been fucked. Anyway, it looked like Kane had everything in control. China wanted to get involved and use the steel trail on Triple H, because remember, she had turned on DX to join the corporation last, uh, late last year. But instead, yeah. she hits Kane in the back with the chair. Kane's looking like the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And that's when Triple H would then attack with the chair. It was a disqualification. Kane officially won the match via DQ at 11 minutes and 33 seconds, but that wasn't the story. The story was China was reunited with Triple H and DX, but there was something that was that was that I didn't notice 24 years ago. I was going to say this uh, just a, f- a few seconds ago, but then I got off track. There was something I didn't notice t- uh, 24 years ago that I noticed in, in the rewatch, and that was... The only thing green that Triple H was wearing was on his shirt, which he ripped off. He yeah. wasn't wearing green gear representing Triple uh, D Generation X. So that was almost like a sign or a precursor to what would happen later on. But anyway, what did you think about this match? All right. This is another match where you had a rivalry here between two guys who would become legends in their own right. And also started out in the WWF with gimmicks that didn't cut the mustard. I mean, Kane was Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS. That failed. He was fake diesel. That failed. Then he becomes Kane. Ship blows up. Triple H the game. Hunter Hearst Tomsley, which I love the Connecticut Blue Blood. But that didn't get over. This was a match that when you take away the chair shots, it ages actually pretty fucking well. Little did we know in 99, we would get the advent of the game, Triple H. And little did we know that Kane would morph through several phases in his career as well. 11.33, your match time, that 
you know, on rewatch, I could possibly rewatch it again. Chill. Yeah, I would too. Especially with Pete Rose getting on with a tombstone yeah. for the second year in a row. I thought that was amazing. All right, next. Ooh. Fuck. WWF Women's Championship match. Sable defending against Tori. We saw one. We saw a different Sable in this one than we did the Royal Rumble. It was a more humble, babyface Sable trying to overcome the odds and an injury to beat uh, Evil Luna Vashon. This time around, it was a more cocky and more arrogant Sable. Talk about showing everybody the grind and shaking her ass against uh, Tori, who was revealed as her biggest fan, who she turned on, and now she's challenging for this title. Sid, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Why was this match on this card? I don't know. Wait, wait. I know. I know. Because WWF created at the time, they weren't on Viagra yet, so they need to get the rocks off something. That's this why. match. Was, this match was horrible. It, it, this match was horrible. We have a it was terrible. Oh God, yeah. We do. Hang on, just one fucking second. I will pull. Get that ready for you right here and right now. Trash. That match was trash. Oh my God. Look. <laughs> that match was trash. Matter of fact, it was so trash. I gotta play it again. It was trash. trash. Yes. Okay. Oh my God, that match was horrible. I watched that match and I said, "Why is this match so bad? <laughs> what is going?" Okay. And you could you could tell like Sable number one didn't really want to be a wrestler, and Tori number two wasn't properly trained to wrestle. It was a train wreck. <laughs> it was a it was a five minute and six second train fucking wreck. What do you got to say about this, Sid? Please, because I can say all I can, but we don't got that much time. We don't. Look, you know how we rip into how bad AEW's women's division is booked as well as WWE's women's division is utilized? When you rewatch this match 24 years later, you're absolving AEW and WWE right now. Tell me what I'm telling lies, champ. As bad as AEW is, look, here's the brawl for all. At the very, very bottom, this match equals the brawl for all. We've come a long way from this shit show. What a relief we have. But fuck me. Take it away, bro. I, I I can't. Yeah, this match, this match made made watching this so fucking painful. Oh my god, it was so <laughs> it was five minutes of painfulness. Just like it, that's including the fucking um, that's including the fucking promo before the matchup. That was painful. That was so painful. <laughs> it was just like, what the fuck is this? What are you a war? Okay, all right, we're gonna move yeah. on. Yeah. Next up, we will have Shay McMahon defending the European Championship against Test. Uh, eight minute forty one second affair. I mean, these guys were absolute. These guys absolutely tore the house down. In even though they they didn't even get ten minutes, they tore the house down for sure, for sure. Uh, but then, we, but this would be the match that will famously show that Triple H would turn on the very 
group he helped to create to yeah. join the corporation with China, turning his back on X-Pac, hitting him with a pedigree, leading to Shane McMahon retaining the European Championship over X-Pac. Your thoughts on this one, Sith? Shane versus Pac, where we have a guy whose daddy's lackey for now in the corporation. And one of the stalwarts of DX as X-Pac came back from his NWO stuff in WCW. Shane at first being the cowardly heel, beginning his comeuppance. Triple H turning on DX here at the end as the game did the unthinkable. He left the stable that he helped founded, joined the corporation. All in all, a good match that helps out a very mixed card here. Champ? Yeah, I mean, like like I said, watching it 24 years ago, you didn't think that Triple H would be the one to cost someone who we called his good friend X-Pac the European Championship and join the corporation. But here we are. He did it. And it was like it was like the biggest shock, especially because prior to that, they were all together, DX was. And then after the matchup, the other members of DX would come out and get beat down by Triple H, China, Test, and Test. Uh, but I think one of the funnier parts of the match was that, and I mean, uh, even Shane McMahon talked about it in an interview where X-Pac got a belt and just lit his ass up with that belt, bro. Like, he yes. lit him up with that belt. And even Shane talked about it and stuff and said he lit my ass up with that belt. All right, so we move on, and we have the Hell in a Cell match between <laughs> Bossman and The Undertaker. Nine minutes and 46 seconds. I consider this, and I'm being, and this is me as someone who has been a fan of The Undertaker system for the longest time. He's my favorite wrestler of all time. This was his third worst WrestleMania match of his career. This is the third worst match of his WrestleMania career. His second worst was Giant Gonzalez a couple years back. His worst was against Roman Reigns. But this was his third worst WrestleMania match in his entire fucking career. And in a match that he basically revolutionized, the Hell in a Cell match, and he, they, we got the most subpar performance we could ever get from The Undertaker in this matchup. Paul, like, Big Boss Man was no help either. Because Big Boss Man said like, he was lazy as shit anyway. He was. But, but my God, this match was not good. And the fact that this went almost 10 minutes, and then not only that, but then we got the ending that we got in which the brew comes down from the from the rafters. Thank like God, if they had foresight to know what would have happened a couple, at least like two months later, they probably wouldn't have attempted that. But anyway, they come propelling down from the roof. They open up a part of Hell in a Cell. They bring in a noose, and they fucking hang Boss Man. They hang Boss Man in effigy, and then they repel back up, and they it kind of it kind of took them a while for Christian and Edge to get repelled back up. Gangrel was already gone, and they're still hanging there. And it's like okay, and they hang Boss Man, so they they have a shit hell in a cell match, and then they end it off with that shit angle. Everything about this was shit. Seth, your thoughts? This is the absolute worst classic in hell in a cell match. Ever. And champ, I have to say something. God damn it. I'm really glad that except for Fiend versus Rollins, we've gone past this bullshit. Because where it comes to Hell in a Cell, 
when you look at guys that have been in that demonic structure, Undertaker's number one. 24 years ago, had a couple of, several adult beverages in me. Food, smokes, whatever, shooting pole. It was okay. Not good, but okay. 24 years later, this match fucking sucks. And I have a question for Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, we got to talk, man. Okay, so you're upset about the same man being crucifixed in ECW? What about the big boss man at this pay-per-view months before you joined the WWF? Just absolute trash. We're done here. Champ. Try I still contend that Bray Wyatt versus Seth Rollins is the worst Hell in a Cell match of all time. This is number yeah. two. Yeah. This is number two. This is number two. And again, like, I have all the respect for The Undertaker and his, his years of service in the WWF, but this match sucked. <laughs> it did. This match sucked. Like, when I watched it 24 years ago, I thought it was oh, it was cool and everything like that. Watching it 24 years later, even I've watched the I've watched WrestleMania 15 several times since 1999, and every yep. time I watch that Hell in a Cell match, my opinion of it gets it becomes it gets worse and worse and worse, and it just sucks. All right, we're moving on. Main event time: oh, The cool. Rock defending the WWF Championship against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Before we even had this happen, it was reported it was said that. Mankind was at the hospital, so they would need a new special guest referee. So guess who would come out to try to be the special guest referee? None other than Vince McMahon. He said he's going to be the special guest referee, but guess who was not a fan of that and was not going to let that happen? Oh, nobody. Just the commissioner of the WWF, Shawn Michaels, (laughs) who would come out and tell him that not only is he not going to be the special guest referee, he doesn't have the authority to uh, appoint a special guest referee. Shawn Michaels does, and he told him to get the step in, and he would bring out, I think he had, um, uh, I forgot who came out as the referee, but either way, so then we yeah. would get, um, we would get, uh, Austin, Rock would come out first to all the booze and all the, all that stuff, Austin came out, big pop, they got the fight, and they went back and forth, back and forth, at it, at it, then later on, uh, Mankind, would finally, uh, after uh, the original referee would laid out, Mankind would make it out there. It would be a rock bottom for uh, The Rock. Then she, he would go for the people's elbow. He would miss. Austin would get up. He would try to go for the stunner. Rock caught his foot, gave him the finger, spun him around, tried to go for the rock bottom, talked trash in his ear, got the elbow, boom, stunner, one, two, three. Stone Cold Steve Austin is your new WWF champion. The match with 16 minutes and 52 seconds after the matchup. It was a beer bash for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Even had Earl Hebner involved in there. McMahon sitting there all just distraught. He got in the ring. He got a stunner. He got beer poured on him. Austin standing on his chest with the, holding up the WWF championship. And also what was a, a big part of this matchup was this was the first match that was called by Jim Ross on commentary in months after he had a, a, bad, belt, a bad bout of Bell's palsy. And so he got to call this main event uh, after Michael Cole had called the most of the, uh, the event. All right, Sith, what were your thoughts on our main event? First up, Jim Ross, alongside Gordon Soley, greatest of all time ever to call a match, period, point blank. 
Okay. This was a fun main event, and it centers around two rivals that defined, helped define the Attitude Era. The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. We could watch this man, these matches between Rock and Stone Cold all day long. Of their, however, the WrestleMania encounters, this is the one I watched the least because it's attached to 15, and 15 is a very mixed bag. But both of their WrestleMania matches together, bangers. Good way to end WrestleMania 15 easily enough. Champ. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a great ending. It let it was a great story arc right there for Stone Cold after losing the Royal the Royal Rumble match to Vince McMahon and then Vince wanting to give up the right to challenge at WrestleMania, then fighting Vince at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in a cage match where the big show made his debut, a shock debut, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he had previously been with WCW and then all of a sudden he's in WWF and then and he ended up helping Austin win the matchup and then the build between Austin and the Rock for that championship with the Rock having to regain that championship from from Mankind after he lost it to Mankind at the uh, empty arena um, at the arena match that was during the halftime of that year's Super Bowl uh and then having they had a, a double count out uh, during their matchup at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which led to the ladder match on the next night on Raw, in which The Rock was able to win back the championship for the third time uh, and led to this matchup. So anyway, let's talk about these grades here for this event. Sith, let's start with you. Final grade. This is an extreme mixed bag, which is sad because WrestleMania is WWE's Super Bowl. The brawl for all. It's nothing more than a 35-second burial and absolutely embarrassing. Hell in a Cell. One of the worst Hell in a Cell matches ever. As Cham said easily, top three worst Undertaker match at WrestleMania. Easily enough. And the post-match was absolutely despicable. The women's match makes some of what we watch today look legendary the rest of the card though was either decent to good to get to the main event great i'm going with the c plus here it's not the worst wrestlemania of all time but holy hell bruh this doesn't age well champ I'm also going with a C plus. I honestly feel like uh, the main event carried this show, and so did uh, Shane McMahon and X Pac. Surprisingly, uh, they carried this show. Honestly, I mean everything else was like was there. It was just there. Uh, the women's title match was was horrific. The Hell in the Cell match was not good at all. And you know that's what drug this this event down to be an average. Uh, a, a, a slightly above average uh, event at C plus because otherwise you take those two matches out of here. This is at least a B pay-per-view at yeah. best, you know, it's at least a B pay-per-view, but instead they got, they drag it down bad. I didn't even factor in the, the, the brawl for all. Cause it was just so short. It was like, you could just take that 35 seconds off and it still doesn't bring any, bring it up or down. It just nope. doesn't factor. 
but it's a C plus for me. C plus. Yeah. All right, now we go from the early, the late winter, early spring of WrestleMania to the hot summer of SummerSlam taking place at the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, the tagline was an out-of-body experience because in the main event, the special guest referee of the triple threat match for the WWF Championship was none other than Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah, so there you go. All yeah. right, let's get this. Let's get this thing started, shall we? All right, we would. St- this had no matches on Heat. It was all matches on the the main card. It was nine total. We started off opening up with a double championship match for the Intercontinental and European Championships. Jeff Jarrett challenging D'Lo Brown. The most intriguing thing about this match was, this, was even before the match started. Jeff Jarrett came out with Deborah, but then he told Deborah to, to, to fuck off. She goes yeah. in the back, and before D'Lo comes out, she talks to D'Lo, and D'Lo says, all right, you come with me, and she's back out there with D'Lo. They have a pretty solid matchup to start off with, but then Mark Henry, who's supposed who's supposed to be his boy, his best friend, turns on him, hits him in the back with a guitar. Jared pins him one, two, three, and Jared is the new Intercontinental and European champion. We all know what he did afterwards. The next night on Raw, he would reward Mark Henry for helping him by awarding him the European Championship and leaving D'Lo Brown in a lurch. This match again was seven minutes twenty-seven seconds. Sith, what were your thoughts on this opening matchup? This was a decent opening match that had swerves before the bell rang to start the match because it looked like Deborah and Double J had a falling out. This was a match that, well, at the end, you knew a few swerves had to hit here and there that took us for a final ride with that heel turn and everything from Mark Henry. Seven twenty-seven, your match time. This was like. An appetizer. Champ? Yeah, this was definitely a good appetizer. And by the way, the crowd in Minnesota were hot that night. That, yes. that night they were they were hot. They they was this was probably one of the best crowds out of the big four was this was this crowd. They were really into it. All right, next up, we will have the tag team turmoil match that would determine the new number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Edge and Christian began the night. They took on the new brood of Matt and Jeff Hardy beat them, then they took on Midian and Viscera, beat them, then they took on Draws and Prince Albert, beat them, before they took on the Acolytes, and the Acolytes beat the crap out of them and got them out of there. The Holly Cousins would be the last to enter the taxi turmoil, but the Acolytes would defeat them, eliminating them and winning. The turmoil match with 16 minutes and 13 seconds with the Acolytes becoming number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Sith, your thoughts? Look, I love gauntlet matches or turmoil, whichever you want to call it. As Edge and Christian had split from Gangrel, the Hardys had joined Gangrel, the new brood. This was entertaining, and having Bradshaw and Farouk win at the end was the right call when you give all the talent that was there. Really good gauntlet or turmoil here to determine who's the number one contender. For the WWF Tag Team Championships at that time, champ. 
Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, it really, we already knew, we already felt like with the Edge of Christian uh, Hardy's thing, we felt that that was going to be a rivalry. That was going to be the catalyst for that, for that division and stuff like that. We'll find out later on with No Mercy prior to Survivor Series and stuff like that. But that, but it was basically, it's, it's impetus started pretty much during the summertime, especially with Survivor, with SummerSlam and things like that. And the Acolytes, you know, still not somewhat representing the Ministry of Darkness, even though the Ministry of Darkness or corporate ministry happen to not be much of a thing at this point in time. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. next up, we would have the hardcore title match between the boss man and Al Snow. Boss was a champion at the time, Al Snow challenging. And the way it started, you knew it was going to be a wild one. First off, before this match even happened, we got a promo from Road Dog Jesse James. By the way, wasn't a champion. This is the one pay-per-view out of the big four that he wasn't even a champion. He wasn't even wrestling on this card. No. But he came out. He's going to do commentary after he got interrupted by Y2J, who went on and had a like a, a soliloquy of a promo on Road Dog before Road Dog just said a couple lines and just shut him up. He goes to do commentary. Al Snow jumps Boss Man from the entrance way, and they don't even make it to the ring. This match never made it to the ring. It started in the entrance way and went all the way into the back, ended up in the street into a bar across the street from the Target Center before <laughs> Al Snow was able to finally defeat him. Road Dog was doing remote mobile com- commentary on a microphone on the way like while the match was going on. And then after the match was done, Al Snow won. Al Snow ran back to the arena, and he started beating up Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie, and I didn't know what for. Like, why was he beating them up? Like, what were they doing? Anyway, that's what happens. Push, like, what do you think about this match? I don't say push a berry, but we're not going to do that. That's next. Nah. That's next. Anyway, Al Snow boss man, what did you think? Champ, what does everybody want? These nuts? No. Head. Okay. <laughs> Remember? The head gimmick and everything? Yeah, I remember. I just still was going to say these nuts anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, look. Road Dog and Y2J, they cut good promos before the match even started. I enjoyed Road Dog on commentary. Oh, the shots to the head. Yeah. This was a decent hardcore match, nevertheless. Brought back memories of seeing that, hey, back in the day, the hardcore, hardcore title, 24-7. So... You know, Al Snow won, but he could lose it a lot like the 24-7 championship. He could lose it on Raw. He could lose it on SmackDown. He could lose it on a fucking plane. Champ? Yeah, I mean, this was one of those matches that really showed the true depth and what was expected with the hardcore championship scene uh, of them not being in, a, in and around the ring with weapons, but just being in the environment with yeah. weapons and just beating the crap out of each other. So this is one of those 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 you know one of those unique things about this this division. All right, next up, WWF Women's Championship match. Ivory is now the champion at this point. Remember, a couple months ago it was Sable. Now it's Ivory. Uh, Ivory's a champion. She took on Tori, who somehow ended up in the the picture after 
I've returned on Tori. So it seems like every time someone turns on Tori and they're the champion, she gets a shot. I'm noticing that pattern here. Uh, this Tori was a little bit better in this one, not that much better. But Ivory was such a pro; she really carried this matchup. The match only went four minutes and eight seconds, but Ivory was able to retain. The finish was weird as fuck, though. I will say that it was a weird finish, but somehow Tori still managed to uh, get the victory. It turns out he was like she was trying to do. Tori was trying to do a sunset flip. Ivory looked like he, she sat on her, and then she pinned her. Yeah. It looked like she was trying to kick out, but she wouldn't. She couldn't, and they ended up getting a three count. So it was just a weird finish. What did you think, Seth? Just like WrestleMania 15, you sit through this match, and you're grateful when it gets to an ending point. No offense meant at all, but this really is low-hanging fruit for a women's match. Well, that, and we all know that Jerry the King Waller, he was drooling through most of it. I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. Look, four minutes, eight seconds, your match time. We can be thankful that since 1999, the women's division isn't as badly presented in current day as it was back then. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, Tori's performance was just a touch better than her performance in WrestleMania. But you got to think, WrestleMania was back in like March, April, and this is like August, like June, July, August. So it was like mm -hmm. a couple months and stuff like that. But either way, it is what it is. Next up, we will have the Lions Den weapons match between Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman. Their rivalry had been spanned for months with Blackman brutally assaulting Ken Shamrock, even running him, running him, backing into him with a car. Ken Shamrock was getting his licks on on Steve Blackman. They would get into this weapons match, and Blackman even came. Blackman, you knew he was like, he didn't give a fuck. He walked into the lines there with a weapon already on him. He had yeah. nunchucks in his back of his trousers and was like ready for war. And Ken Shamrock just walked in there with his mean face and shit this was a nice matchup but in the end ken shamrock beamed him in the head with a fucking kendo stick knocked him unconscious ended up getting the victory nine minutes and six seconds there you go ken shamrock wins thoughts maybe we need this match to return nope not because of the pg environment we're in now <laughs> this was a wild match that was better than the women's match but that sets a very low bar. To say the least, these cats felt the pain from the match for weeks to come. Chill. Yeah, I mean, this is like, I mean, this was like the height or pretty much the culmination of their rivalry that lasted for several months. And what a way to end the rivalry is with them going into a match with a bunch of weapons at the top and just really just going at it. So good, good on them. Then we would have the Greenwich Street fight, also known as Lover or Lever. Tess versus Shane McMahon. The stipulation was if Tess lost, then he would have to break up with Shane McMahon's sister, Stephanie. And if Shane had, if Tess wins, he would be able to continue to date Stephanie without the interference or of Shane McMahon or of the Main Street Posse. Uh, the match opened up with Tess coming out first. Shane would come out next, but then would be, quote unquote, shocked that the Main Street Posse, who over the previous couple weeks had been ambushed and injured by Tess, would come out with their various injuries and would have, how convenient, a sofa at ringside with snacks and drinks. But Shane didn't know they were coming. There you go. 
they would have they would be heavily involved in this matchup, but so but Tess would be able to overcome. One of the big spots was Shane hitting him with signs, hitting him with a photo a portrait where glass went everywhere. The big big spot was Shane jumping off the top rope to the uh to do an elbow drop through the Spanish announce table, and it looked like that was going to be the way to win it, but it wasn't. At the end of the matchup, after uh, Pete Gas and Rodney were cut off by the Stooges who were returning after a long layoff. Uh, they got involved opening up for Tess to be able to hit his pump handle slant uh, power slam and then a big elbow drop off the top rope to get the three count and they and Tess would win. Stephanie Mann would come out to hug her man and realize that she can see him without any interference from her brother. Sith, what did you think about our Greenwich Street fight? Well, back in 99, it wouldn't be a Greenwich Greenwich street fight without the main street posse. You know, they were at ringside. This was an entertaining match that actually helped launch Shane as an competent in-ring performer. Puts the spotlight on test for a bit easily enough. Well, until like next year. 12 of 4 is your match time. And again, we're starting to step back up again a bit. Champ. Yeah. I really, I really, here's the thing is like, again, a lot of these big four pay-per-views from 99, I've watched multiple times over the years, right? This is one of those matches that I would go back and watch again and again and again and again. It was that good. There aren't a lot of matches on this card that I would go back and watch again and again and again. Like this card in particular, this is one match. I will go back and watch again and again and again. There's another one that's coming up that I will go back and watch again and again and again. But this is one that I will go back and watch again and again and again. A match that I would not go back and watch again and again and again. Not that it was bad, but it's just I just didn't care. I just it just it's just something I just would not go back and watch again. It would be the t- WWF Tag Team Title match that followed the Greenwich Street fight, the Unholy Alliance of Big yeah. Show and the Undertaker taking on Kane and X Pac. Uh, this is where DX was just Road Dog and X Pac, and Kane was just DX adjacent because uh, because Billy Gunn has decided to go his own way and shit. Um, and this was a matchup that was all unholy alliance. Mostly they like everybody thought that the offensive focus would be on X Pac because he was the smallest of the, the of the men in this matchup. But no, most of the offense was on Kane. But then when X Pac did get in there, the offensive focus did hit X-Pac really hard to the point that at the end of the matchup, Big Show hit his big move, but instead of doing a true pin cover, he put his foot on his chest. Undertaker got pissed. I mean, Undertaker got super pissed. And then, especially when X-Pac kicked out, Undertaker got in the ring, got picked up X-Pac, drilled him with a tombstone, one, two, three, and we have new WWF Tag Team Champions, the Unholy Alliance of Big Show and Undertaker. And Undertaker could, didn't even want to celebrate. He was just so pissed off at the Big Show. The Big Show was just like, what the fuck? So, yeah. Thoughts? All right. Taker and Big Show are an alliance that a lot of people, including myself, tend to overlook at times because this was the era of Degeneration X, the corporation, Ministry of Darkness, etc. Kane and Pac, oddball pairing as champions. Yeah, but they didn't leave Minneapolis. Pac's hometown with the belt, so unholy alliance wins. 
this looking back is one of those tag team matches that I don't rewatch. But given for the year 1999 overall, it's one of the more decent ones. Champ? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was a decent... It was a decent match. It's just, again, it's just one that I just would not go back to yeah. watch again only because it just didn't really interest me that much. And it sucks to be saying that given the fact that I am a huge Undertaker fan. Like, I am a massive Undertaker fan. You know what I'm saying? And it's yeah. like, oh, man. Like, I just, I just... I didn't enjoy it that much. Not to say it was bad, but I just didn't enjoy it enough to be wanting to go back and watch it again. You know what I'm saying? So that was yeah. that was my that was my thought process with it. Anyway, all right, let's talk about let's talk about the semi main event, which was doubly named the Kiss My Ass match. Billy Gunn, also known as Mr. Ass, against The Rock. And before the match got started, Mr. Ass decided he was going to introduce. The uh, uh, introduced this very large young lady who he said the rocks would be kissing her ass instead of his once he lost. And I think what threw, what threw me off about this match, the match was good, by the way, the match was good, was commentary. They kept making they kept making so many jokes about this large woman. Uh, at one point, Jerry Lawler asked, "You think she's wearing underwear?" And Jr. was like, "Oh, good God, King, <laughs> that's just not an image I I want to conjure up." He's like, "You think she's wearing a, a bikini?" Oh, he's like, "Thong, oh, good God!" <laughs> he's like, "They just was going in on this poor woman, like it was crazy." Anyway, match went ten minutes twelve seconds. The young woman got involved in the matchup where it looked like. Billy Gunn was going to send Rock's face into her ass, but instead he got Billy Gunn down and rammed her his face into that large woman's ass, as uh, Jim Ross says, and it would lead to the old, the the great com the great one combo of the Rock Bottom and the People's Elbow, which was a big thing in the night 1999, and it yep. led to a victory for the Rock uh, over Billy Gunn. Your thoughts on this one? A lot of people tend to forget that the People's Elbow was originally initiated. Because The Rock wanted to see if he could have the Undertaker break character. Yeah. Now let me get this out of the way, champ. Right here, right now. No one. And I do mean no one. Bought the idea of Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn being on the same level of The Rock. And it's a major reason why this is the one rivalry that people look where it comes to The Rock, and people say, eh, it was there. When I gave this match a rewatch a couple of weeks ago, yeah, it was okay. This was definitely a missable match for The Rock. It brings my grade down. It's not Billy's fault or The Rock's fault, though that creative thought it was a good idea. It's just that Billy Gunn, Mr. Ass... Nowhere on Rock's level. Nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I tend to disagree. I didn't think the match was just meh. I thought it was actually pretty good. I think that I think the problem was it was too much focus 
on the third person that was involved in this, which was the young mm-hmm. lady that was at ringside, and too yeah. many jokes were made towards her and about her, that it kind of took away from the matchup. And I will admit that those jokes had me pop uh, quite a bit. I was crying on a couple of them, laughing oh, so ooh. hard. But I think that, you know, because I've seen this event so many times, I've seen this match so many times, the match is not that bad. It's just, I just yeah. think that it was, it was kind of overshadowed no pun intended, by the young yeah. lady that was introduced to the equation at the last minute. I think they kind of underestimated how much of an effect she would have in terms of how people watch this match. All right, how people watch this match up here. Anyway, next, finally, triple threat main event uh, for the WWF Championship. Mankind, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Triple H for the WWF Championship. Stone Cold's the champion. Special guest referee, none other than Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, and this will be a very unique matchup here where we'll see a very surprising result of Mankind after Triple H hit the pedigree on, tri- on Stone Cold. Mankind gets Triple H out of there. He hits the double on DDT on Stone Cold, pins Stone Cold, gets the victory, and becomes the new WWF champion. Now, prior to the finish, we saw Jesse Ventura throw out China after getting involved in the matchup. He would throw out Shane, who got involved in the matchup. Well, Shane got stunned, and then he literally threw him out. Like, not figured. He literally threw him out the ring and told him, that's for your old man, you little bastard. Um, (laughs) And then... And then got counted down the victory for Mankind. And then after the matchup, Triple H, as a way to write off um, Steve Austin, who was dealing with knee injury issues at the time, decided to attack Austin's knees with a chair to write him off as a way to give as his way of getting writing them off. The very next night, though, Triple H would, after threatening and breaking JR's arm in kayfabe, would get a shot and win the WWF championship the very next night. All right, Sith, what did you think about our main event? This main event is something to behold here because it involves three guys that are major stars of the Attitude Era. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, Mankind also known as Mick Foley. Jesse the Body Ventura, good job special ref. Honestly, he's more competent than a lot of special referees of late. Where am I lying? Mankind winning sent the fans home happy in Minneapolis. I enjoyed this match, actually. 1623, your main event match time. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it too, especially like the the, the times where Jesse Devon Ventura got into it with uh, China and with Triple H uh, and with Shaman Man. There was a couple times he was like, he, when Triple H uh, brought mm-hmm. in a chair and hit it with a chair, and he was like, "What's what's that shit?" They bleeped it out, of course. But yeah, yeah. I remember watching it live, and when he said that, I was laughing my ass off. I said, "That yeah, funny. exactly." He said, like, "What is that shit?" And he said, "He's not counting the fall," and he was like, "Bullshit." <laughs> so they they were really going at it, but I really enjoyed this one and having the shock result of mankind winning his third WWF championship. Uh, with the uh, help of the, uh, the body, was was, was quite a, a shock. All right, final grade for SummerSlam 1999. Thoughts? There's only two matches I could do without Champ: Ivory versus Tory, Blackman Shamrock. Okay, I could stand to watch Rock Billy Gunn because I only watch this pay per view maybe once every three or four years. So there's some good distance behind it. Does that make sense? Rest of the card, 
actually pretty fucking good for the most part. And it's one of those pay-per-views where the good to awesome outdo bad or eh, okay. B's my overall grade here, champ. What was your grade? B. Yeah, I'm I'm also gonna ride with a B here. I mean there like I said I actually did enjoy the Lions and Weapons match because of the story behind it. I enjoyed it. The women's match, not so much. So I'm I'm gonna stick with a B as well. I really think that a lot of these matches were really good. The opening match was the most intriguing one because of the big the the out out of out of nowhere trail of Mark Henry of D betraying Deal Brown and costing him the double championships. Uh you know, Edge and Christian's great run through the turmoil before they ran into the Acolytes. Um, the hardcore title match, which was in the embodiment of what the hardcore title was in that in that era. And then, of course, the main event was just absolutely right on the money and yeah. things like that. So there you go. So I'm going with a B as well. And like I said, um, afterwards, of course, again, Triple H... Uh, would win the championship on the next night with uh, special guest referee Shane McMahon winning his first WWE championship on Raw the next night. We know that The Rock and Mankind formed the Rock and Sock connection uh, in the aftermath of SummerSlam. We also would, um, you know, it would be a lot that would, it would be a lot that went on and stuff like that. A lot went on in the aftermath of SummerSlam. But now it's time to talk about Survivor Series 1999. One of the big stories out of this one was not, was not only the triple threat match for the WWF Championship, Rock Austin and Triple H, but also the in-ring debut of Kurt Angle as well. So yes. let's get into it really quickly. All right, no pre-show matches, no heat matches, nothing. It was 10 matches on the card. We opened up with the first of one, two, three, four Survivor Series-style elimination matches. It would be D'Lo Brown, the Godfather, and the Headbangers taking on the Acolytes and the Dudley Boys. This match with 9 minutes, 36 seconds, with D'Lo Brown and Godfather being the sole survivors after the whole train splash in the corner by Godfather and then the lowdown by D'Lo Brown on Bubba, on Bubba Ray Dudley led to the pinfall victory and them winning. Uh, your thoughts on this match to start? Yeah, fun opening Survivor Series match here, although the crowd was dead as fuck where it came to Mosh and Thrash, the headbangers. No matter how hard they tried with their time in WWE, they just couldn't get over. Meanwhile, you had six other wrestlers that were way over, to say the least, with the Acolyte, Studley's, D'Lo Brown, Godfather. Good match overall. And, of course, the fans, they popped, of course, for the hoe train and the post-match celebration. All right, so the order of elimination for this first matchup was Thrash was the first to be eliminated by Bradshaw at three four, minutes, 40 seconds. Mosh would then be eliminated by Bubba Ray Dudley at four minutes and 57 seconds. But then Bradshaw got pissed off because he got hit by some. He got hit by D'Lo and decided he was going to hit D'Lo with a chair 
and then hit yeah. his own partner with the chair, causing a disqualification. So then that happened. And then Farouk and D'Lo, Farouk and Devon decided they were going to fight because they were arguing over who's going to pin D'Lo. They ended up getting the fight, and they got fought all the way to the outside of the back. They got double counted out, so at 6 minutes and 45 seconds, and that's when Bubba Ray fell at 9 minutes, 36 seconds to D'Lo and the Godfather. Yeah. All right. Our, our next match would be the in-ring debut of Kurt Angle. He will face the uh, son of Stan the Man Stasiak, none other than Sean Stasiak, who was making his WWF pay-per-view debut as well. Match with five minutes and 57 seconds. A fair uh, a matchup in which we would immediately get to know the character that Kurt Angle would portray would be an, a, a very arrogant African, a very arrogant American uh, gold medalist who, you know, during the match, have even told the city, don't, you don't boo an Olympic gold medalist. You don't boo an yeah. Olympic gold medalist. Uh, by the way, this is in Detroit, Michigan, so, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, yeah. thoughts? Wow. Although this was a good debut for Kurt Angle here, and he would be on a jettisoned path to success big time, the crowd here had the reaction of, what the fuck is this? Because this wasn't a sports entertainment wrestling match. This was an amateur wrestling style that was more aimed at amateur wrestling. Angle's mid-match promo actually got things back on track here a bit, as this match wasn't WWF-style wrestling. Five minutes, 57 seconds is the match time here for something that would be known as an introduction to someone who we didn't know his career would blossom how it went. If you're like me and like amateur wrestling, you'll like this match. If not... Sorry. When you watch, when I watched this match 24 years ago, like I said, I think all of us who watched this 24 years ago had zero idea that that what we saw in front of us against Sean Stasiak and under six minutes would turn into a Hall of Fame career littered with multiple world championships across two different promotions, among other championship accolades that he would earn in a Hall of Fame career. My goodness. And then you look at this. Then you go, when you go back, come up 24 years later and watch this again, and you think about it, it's like, wow, talk about humble beginnings. Right. Yeah. You know? So then next, we have our next four on four Survivor Series elimination matchup. Went nine minutes and eight seconds. It was Gangrel, Mark Henry, Steve Blackman, and Val Venus taking on the British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse. This match wasn't even close. The Mean Street Posse were all eliminated within the first six minutes of the match. Peak yeah. ass first by Steve Blackman at 256. Rodney by Gangrel at 421. And Joey Abs by Mark Henry in a big ass splash at six minutes and two seconds. But then the British Bulldog, who was going 4v1, it was a 4v1 for, boss, for, for Bulldog, who was the European champion at the time. He would pin Gangrel and Steve Blackman before he would fall to Mark Henry hitting him with a splash, and then Val Venus hitting the money shot splash to get the pinfall. Mark Henry and Val Venus were your sole survivors. Nine minutes and eight seconds. Your thoughts, Sith? This was fucking dreadful to watch. As honestly, Bulldog and the Posse didn't have any chemistry at all, and it ruined how things went here. This match is honestly one of the worst Survivor Series elimination matches I have ever fucking Scene. Jeez. 
You must have forgot about the matches following after this. <laughs> oh, no, well, you just wait. Ah, yeah. Uh, this match was, was what it was. It is what it is. We're yeah. going to keep it moving. And we had, so this wasn't a Survivor Series style matchup. This was just an eight man, eight woman tag sudden death match. It went one minute, 52 seconds. It was a team of Deborah, the Fabulous Moolah, Mae Young, and Tori against the team of Jacqueline, Luna, Terry Reynolds, and the women's champion, Ivory. The only exciting part of this is when Moolah and May jump Ivory outside before the match started. Everything else about this match sucked. <laughs> this, this match was simply unadulterated. Trash! Yeah, it was trash. Oh my God, Sif, talk, go, please, say something. <laughs> for all the shit we give AEW and WWE for poor use of the women's rosters... This made those decisions look like a work of fucking art. A meandering match that is so terrible. It makes the previous match look like the fucking Godfather. One minute, 52 seconds is your match time. And fuck me. Look, if you got children who won't behave, show them this match. That'll get them in line. God damn it! That's a that's a bit much, Sith. Even you even have Whitney <laughs> in the back. You have Whitney in the background laughing. I can hear her. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Nah. This match is ass. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't even pay attention long enough to even see when the pin cover happened. A pin cover happened, and next thing you know, Terry and Tori were trying to rip. Terry and Deborah were trying to rip each other's tops off. It was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't the attitude, Arrow. We're gonna write this off with Jerry Springer. All right, next up, we would have a singles matchup between Kane and X-Pac that went four minutes and 15 seconds. It was a personal one because of X-Pac had turned on Kane to join Triple H as the heel degeneration X. Kane didn't like that. At this point, he now has a girlfriend, and they would fight it out, but then the rest of DX would get involved when it looked like X-Pac was going to go for the Bronco Buster. Tori, fresh off of that shit-ass match the la- like earlier on, comes out to try to stop X-Pac, turns X-Pac around, and X-Pac just... Gave her a nice, like, just kicked the fucking shit out of her. Gave her a Bruce Lee cross kick or something. She, he's like, I kicked the shit out of her. And just knocked her out before Kane would recover and then run and then run to his girlfriend's side. Uh, Kane would win by disqualification. Your thoughts on this one, Seth? Good match that with the ending, it got resolved the following month on pay-per-view. Issue... This, like the previous two matches, you could have had on Raw or SmackDown and things would have been fine. Good match while it lasted. 4.15 your match time. As I said, you could have had this on regular TV and it would have been fine. I mean, and, and, and it would keep the rivalry would keep on going too, by the yep. way, if you don't know. Yeah. It would keep on going with Tori ultimately turning on Kane, joining DX, and being X Pac's girl, which was wild in and of itself. Because all the times, like, because there were a couple of times that there was, mm-hmm. I th- forgot which pay per view it was, where he spit in her face and they kicked her head off. I was like, yo, X Pac is a wild dude that he, he spit in his, in his face, spit in her face. They kicked her in the face. I was like, you're wild for that. One thing I like about X-Pac, though, real recognizes real. 
he recognizes that some of the stuff in the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Eras, he said, that stuff doesn't age too well anymore. Mm -mm. All right, next up, it was supposed to be a four-on-four Survivor Series elimination matchup between uh, Big Boss Man, Midian, Prince Albert, and Viscera against the Big Show, Blue Meanie, and Kai and Tai. But during Sunday Night Heat, Big Show was so enraged because of the angle of what was going on with the Big Show and how he was dealing with Big with the Big Show's sick and then late father uh that he was so enraged he went in he said he didn't need any help he went in he beat the shit out of blue meanie and kai and tai kept them out of the match and it came down one v four and beat all four of them well beat three of the four and got a yeah. count out on boss man so here's how it went down elimination wise he chokes them by the way the match went one minute and 26 seconds this was like under 90 seconds came yeah. in Choke slam Midian to hell at eight and beat him in 18 seconds. Then 12 seconds later, Choke slams Prince Albert beats him. And then 25 seconds later, after getting a couple shots in on Big Vis, Choke slams the shit out of Viscera and pins him. And then the boss man ran. The boss man tucked tail and got the hell up out of there. And Big Show won in one minute and 26 seconds. And it was a good thing he only had a one minute, 26 second match because of what would happen later on. Your thoughts on this one? On the bright side, this was the breakout match for Big Show for better or worse because he just single-handedly dominated start to finish. On the other side of the coin, this not being the major shot in the arm for Big Show... Again, better off on TV, champ. Um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. All right, next up, we would have China, the Intercontinental Champion, won that championship in the October pay-per-view over Jeff Jarrett in the good housekeeping matchup, along with Miss Kitty taking on Chris Jericho in that match yeah. the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, back and forth affair, a lot of offense from Jericho, uh, China fighting from underneath, but in the end, China would end up hitting an avalanche pedigree to Put down Jericho and get the win to retain the championship again. The match time was 13.45. What did you think about this one, Sith? Okay. This was a solid intergender match that was upgraded because Chris Jericho made sure that China got over as well as his antics. China looked good in this match. And the fact that Jericho sold her the way he did Shows that even back in 1999, the man was and still is a team player at the end of the day. Champ. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, again, this was uh, really, uh, they, 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 Jericho and China had a really good program mm -hmm. going on. Uh, around this time, after he after she won the Intercontinental Championship, uh, by the way, they, she, uh, China to this day is still the only woman to have held the Intercontinental Championship, uh, and she had a pretty historic run with that championship, uh, being that it would be her first and I think lone uh, run with that championship. All right, next up, our final four on four Survivor Series elimination matchup would see the Holly Cousins, along with Too Cool, taking on Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. Again, this was 
post No Mercy after the Hardys and the Edge and Christian had that five match series to get the $100,000 and the managerial services of Terry Reynolds. Uh, the eliminations in this one were as follows Edge was first eliminated by Hardcore Holly at six minutes and six seconds. 16 seconds later, Matt Hardy would eliminate Scotty Tuhati. Then at 10 minutes, 11 seconds, Scotty Tuhati was eliminated by Jeff, Jer- by Jeff Hardy. Then at 11.34, Jeff Hardy was eliminated by Grandmaster Sexay. Then Christian would eliminate both Grandmaster Sexay and Crash Holly before ultimately falling into Hardcore Holly at 14 minutes and 27 seconds. Hardcore Holly was the sole survivor of that match. Your thoughts? Good man, chair, but she's a bound. One, the commentary team. They were too focused on who ran over Austin. So that took away from the viewing of the match experience-wise because they're busy focusing on something that just happened instead of focusing what's happening in the rain. And also, the crowd was a bit out of it as well because of what had just transpired. You can watch this as I did and enjoy it, but the events earlier in the card... But both commentary and tepid crowd reactions took a slight bit of my enthusiasm out of here, though. Yeah, I think the last couple of matches were mm-hmm. kind of marred by the events of what happened backstage. So prior, I think after the China and Chris Jericho matchup, there was a backstage segment where Austin was chatting with Kevin Kelly. He was interrupted by Triple H and chased after Triple H. He was out in the back of the building and got ran down by a car, and it just led to like a whole, like a total deflation of the crowd and of the of the of the commentary uh, all the way until the main event. We'll get to the main event in just a second. Yeah. New Age Outlaws next defending the tag titles, and again, this goes back to the stat I gave earlier. This is the third Big Four pay per view of four where Road Dog is a fucking champion. Royal Rumble, yeah. he was a hardcore champion. WrestleMania, IC champion. Here in uh, Summer Survivor Series, tag champion with Billy Gunn. They took on the team of Al Snow and Mankind. Um, there was a line on commentary that just had me going, oh, my God, when he said it. And that was that Jerry Lawless said that he, he, he couldn't believe that, he did, that JR didn't notice that Al Snow had that mannequin head, and JR said out of his mouth with a straight face, Mankind gave Al Snow head last Thursday on SmackDown. And I said, God oh, my God. I said, oh, I said, oh, my God. And even JR was like, wait, what? How dare he yeah. say that out here? He said he presented him that mannequin head on SmackDown. And he was like, oh. I, but I had to rewind that part so many times. Yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. Anyway, that we say then that you can't say now. Anyway, but uh, New Age Outlaws would get a spike pile driver to get the victory and retain their championships. 13 minutes, 59 seconds was the match time. Sip your thoughts. Another match that had a lot of potential, lack of chemistry can be seen here big time. The final three to five minutes were hot, but. It took quite a while to get to make it good. Just that because both teams are capable of so much. 13.59 is your match time, but, ooh, champ. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so then we go to our main event, which was the triple threat match for the WWF Championship. It was announced throughout the night. Shane McMahon said that it will still be a triple threat despite Stone Cold Steve Austin being sent to the hospital after being run down. Uh, they wouldn't announce who that third person would be until the match. The Rocket Triple H would come out first, and then it would be none other than the Big Show. The yeah. Big Show would be the one to come out to replace Austin, and then in the end, when McMahon finally came back from the hospital after two referees, including Shane McMahon, were taken out of the equation, McMahon would come in, miss with the belt shot, but then hit him on the rebound, and then um, Big Show would hit the choke slam on Triple H, one, two, three, and the Big Show, just three days after burying his father, became the WWF champion for the first time in his career. Match with 16 minutes and 16 seconds. Sith, talk about it. Solid main event where parts of the pay-per-view felt it was needed on TV, not pay-per-view. Consistent match, great triple threat, lots of good action. Big Show gets his ending to a story. Triple H gets payback at the end of the day as well. 16-16, your main event match time. Yeah, I mean, this, like, the shock that it was Big Show out of all, which kind of made sense, seeing as though, you know, he had that very short 1v4 Survivor Series matchup where he barely broke a sweat, and he came out and had this matchup and becomes the champion. So there you go. So there you go. All right, great. Survivor Series 1999. Thoughts? Uh, The bad things equal the good things here. This is easily remembered for Austin being run over, but then that dominates the next couple of matches up until the main event. Some of the matches weren't needed, could have been better served on Raw or SmackDown. Other matches hit really well, made this viewing a little bit easier to sit through. C-plus is my grade here, but it could have been a lot worse because this pay-per-view doesn't age terribly well. Yeah, I'm also at a C plus. This pay per view does like doesn't really hit that good now that it did 24 years ago and things like that. So it really didn't age very well. Uh, I think that you can't like you look at the opening match. Look at the opening match itself, and even that yeah. that one that opening match right there. A lot of what they were doing gimmick wise in that match would not fly 20 uh, in this in this climate would not fly a, a pimp and two and three people pretending to be pimps and a bunch of women they call hoes would not fly in 2023 sorry uh we got a nice glimpse of what would become the legendary hall of fame career kurt angle but we got you know the only other big big thing out of this was that they found a way to write off Stone Cold so he could have major neck surgery by having him run yep. down and take it out of the main event. They put in the big show who had just literally buried his father three days prior uh, and was in a very bad and very, very controversial storyline regard- surrounding that with the big boss man. But in the end, he becomes the one that wins the championship, which would lead Triple H to then target this man who was the one that cost him the championship, which would lead to all the things that would happen towards the end of 99, which would be Triple H marrying Stephanie McMahon while she was drugged in Las Vegas when she was supposed to be marrying Tess. That wouldn't fly in 2023. And then at Armageddon, when it looked like Triple H was going to attack Stephanie, it turns out it was all a ruse, and Stephanie's been all in it all along after what Vince did to her in the summer of 99 with the Ministry of Darkness. Yeah. So it was payback time for Steph. 
and it would lead to the heel turn of Stephanie McMahon and the creation of the McMahon Helmsley faction. Yeah. Jesus Christ. 90, late 99 and early 2000 was wild, bro. It was. What's your overall grade? C plus. Same. Look, thankfully we didn't have to deal with the rewatch of 95 again. But the next pay-per-view I make us rewatch, though, could make this year of 99 look salvageable. I got a challenge. I got a oh. challenge. I got a challenge. Since we, since we love doing retro reviews, see, okay, so here's the deal. Next Saturday, it is, uh, we're going to be looking ahead to All In. Correct and in the following weekend, we'll be looking ahead. We'll be looking back on all in and ahead to all out. As well and as then on the ninth, as well as payback. And then on the tenth, we review those. And then the, yeah, we review those, and that's when we start our Sunday. So the seventeenth of September, I have a, I have an idea, and everybody who's listening can hear this, so that y'all can prepare as well. On August the 17th, a list of pay-per-views on that weekend. Myself and Sip are going to do a retro rewind of the big five pay-per-views of 2000. Fuck! Oh, my God. Yep. Torture. Torture. WrestleMania is going to be torture enough. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. One of the worst rumbles of all time. Oh, my God. Yep, that's what we're doing. We're going to do a retro rewind of, of all the big five. And we're going to include King of the Ring as well. We're including King of the Ring as well. So there you go. That's the plan. All right, this is going to be a very long, uh, long podcast. So uh, I already know I'm probably going to have to split this up. So right now we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to take a legit break on stream too and play play the little oh. intro video because I have to go to the bathroom. So when I when we come back, we will begin the weekend review and everything like that. So we will be right back after this quick timeout. Yeah. Hey you. Yeah, you. You enjoying this episode? I hope you are, because if you are, you can go ahead and subscribe to us. We're currently on Anchor and Spotify, as well as other podcasting platforms. So subscribe, follow us, and also check us out on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as twitter.com slash truenospotspod. Now we return to the show. All right, we are back. It is we are back. It is the No Spots Weekly Wrestling Podcast, season five, episode two fifteen. I am DC's People's Champ, and oh, there he is. My co-host is back. None other than the Dark Sith Lord himself. Uh, we had to take we had to take a break because I was holding that in for so long. I was in agony. I said, you know what? Oh, I'm going to use this time. TMI, my brother. Listen, man, I'm just going. I'm just keeping it real. God damn it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I I said, you know what? I know I'm going to have to split the, the audio up on this anyway, so I yeah. might as well use this as a good time to find a break point, go to the restroom, let my let it go, and then come back and ready to go. So we are ready to kick this thing in the ass in the second half of this podcast because now it is time for our weekend review. 
where we will be looking at all the shows from Monday Night Raw all the way to Saturday Night Collision, uh, and well, for our audio listeners at least, and yeah. we will be giving them uh, rankings of push, regular, uh, regular push, big push, or mega push, small push, leave it where it is, or bury for five different bits or uh, matches from each show. So let's get this thing started. Of course, Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, their continued fallouts from SummerSlam, but as they get ready to build towards their next pay-per-view payback. Also, NXT is building towards Heat Wave, which is taking place this coming Tuesday night on USA Network. Of course, AEW Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision are all building towards not only All In in Wembley Stadium on the 27th of August, but the week after that, AEW All Out in Chicago. And, of course, Impact Wrestling is building not only towards Multiverse United 2, uh, which is taking place this weekend, but also Emerges, which is coming up as well. All right, let's not waste any more time to talk about Monday Night Raw, shall we? Yeah. All right, Monday Night Raw had an opening segment where the Judgment Day were already in the ring, but they were missing someone. That's none other than Finn Balor. Jordan Devlin tried to tell them what was going on, but they didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to listen. That would bring out Sami Zayn, and they would begin the fight, which led to a match between Sami Zayn and Jordan Devlin, which Devlin actually lost. So, our opening segment plus Sami Zayn versus Jordan Devlin, Push or Barry, Sith. Uh, push bordering on Big Push. The promo segment was fine. Devlin delivering a message from Balor. And they were like, fuck you. And then the match, fuck match. I was happy that Sammy wasn't pinned here. Devlin will bounce back from the L here easily enough. Both guys look good. Yeah, definitely pushing this one. I like the fact that there's still that decision within the Judgment Day. Devlin's really creating that divide. Eventually, he's going to make a move and either and possibly Damian Priest will be the one that gets excommunicated from the group and he joins Finn and things like that because of their connection. We'll have to see what happens. All right. We had back-to-back matches that happened on this show involving the Alpha Academy and Imperium. We had Chad Gable taking on the former Fabian Eichner, now known as Giovanni Vinci. And then afterwards, well, after Vinci failed against, Chad, uh, against Gable, Walter wanted a piece of Otis in which he would defeat Otis in the matchup but then get chased away by Gable after the matchup. Both of these matches, push or bury, Sith? I'd give it all an overall push, although this is a telltale sign that Gable will lose overall. It was a good way to continue the build to him versus Walter, but overall, good Chris match with Bartel. Walter Otis, distraction finish, keeps Otis strong. So, yeah, give it a push. Yeah, push. I push it as well. Very well done. And it keeps the uh, rivalry between Imperium and Alpha Academy strong. Though Walter read both Bartel and Eichner, the um, uh, the Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel, the riot act, uh, when it, especially yeah. uh, Homeboy, when it came to, to, to Maxine Dupree. Uh, Dupree. So, yeah. So there you go. All right, next up, the Viking Raiders were once again in tag action, but this time it was against Matt Riddle and Drew McIntyre. Sith, push or bury? I give it a push. It was a good match, but Drew teaming up with Riddle? We've seen this. Card RK bro. 
where you've just got this total mishmash of personalities that just don't click. Hopefully it will. We just don't know. Yeah, push as well. Very solid. Uh, I really want, I think the Viking Raiders coming off the win at the Viking Rules match is kind of losing a little bit of momentum, having lost to the New Day last week, and now this makeshift team this year, this week. So I'm kind of worried for the Viking Raiders at this point. All right, next, we finally got the the second match, well, the third match, I guess you could say, between Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus, and it ended in a double countout. Yeah, push or bury, Sith. Liked how the match went into action immediately, but the double countout means hopefully the sins at payback. Hopefully. I give it a push, but now we're just extending out a program just for the sake of fucking doing it. Yeah, like, had this match had a definitive uh, winner or even someone winning by countout or disqualification, because of the match quality, I would have gave it a big push. Double countout, to me, is a cop-out, so I'm giving it a push because the match quality was really good, but the finish is just such a cop-out. I can't give it anything more than that. All right, finally, our main event, Finn Balor would eventually make it to the building to talk with his Judgment Day mates before going out and facing off against Cody Rhodes in a singles match. What did you think about this one, Push or Barry? Uh, Good main event followed by a strong beatdown angle. Judgment Day needed to have that bounce-back moment after Balor took the L match-wise. Love the ambiguous idea of, will Jordan Devlin join the Judgment Day or no? Good way to have it all worked out, big push. Yeah, I'm now I'm also of the of the of the belief of a big push as well. Everything about this, you know, the Judgment Day, they say they they, they run Monday Night Raw and they really showed it with their with what happened in the main event. Yeah, yeah, Balor lost, so what? They just they still yeah. stood tall. So there you go. Uh, also, as I forgot to mention in our intro during our weekend review for our show for the shows of Monday Night Raw, NXT, Dynamite, SmackDown, Rampage, and Collision for our audio listeners, we do read off the grades provided by the good people at Bleacher Report who do live results and grades and highlights and reactions from each of those shows. They don't do it for Impact. They used to, but they don't anymore. Dr. Mueller provides grades for this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. And we begin with Sami Zayn versus Jordan Devlin, and he gave that match a B. I agree, B. Uh, Chad Gable versus Giovanni Vinci, and then Gunter versus Otis, Walter versus Otis. The uh, match between Gable and Vinci got a B plus. Mm, yeah. And then Walter's match with Otis got a B minus. Yeah, and then if you merge it all, B. There you go. Matt Riddle and Drew McIntyre versus the Viking Raiders got a B minus. C plus. Indy Hartwell versus Rhea Ripley got a C. C plus, but damn, couldn't we get this a few more minutes? Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus got a C plus. I agree. The grade would have been higher had there been either a single countout, you know, a definitive winner. And then Cody Rose versus Finn Balor got a B. B plus. 
All right, the final word from Doc Chris Miller is as follows, quote, this week's Raw was pretty much business as usual. We got some forward progression on a handful of storylines and a couple of fun matches. The ongoing Judgment Day story is the main attraction on the red brand these days, but Alpha Academy versus Imperium has become a surprise highlight in recent weeks. Otis versus Walter and Gable versus Vinci were both great and showcased how all four men are capable of putting on entertaining performances at the drop of a hat. Piper Nevin returning early in the show and declaring herself to be Chelsea Green's new taxi partner was not only hilarious, but it also <laughs> opened up some interesting possibilities for the latter's character, end quote. The final grade was a B-. minus. Okay, overall, this was a steady, consistent episode of Raw. Even the segments and matches I didn't like as much as others had a feeling of importance here. Not a fan of overextending lunch versus Stratus, but I think the summer program is almost over, thank God. Piper Nevin and Chelsea Green fun set up here, and I'm going to see where it goes, despite the fact that I think the Women's Tag Team Championships are cursed. Opening and close... The opening and ending of the show really sealed the show. The middle, good overall, didn't feel like it was too lagging. B minus this week. Consistency is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I did like that part where fucking uh, Pipe, where Piper Nevin came in, and I'm number one. I'm glad she's not going by that dewdrop dumbass yeah. name no more. She's going by Piper fucking Nevin. She came in and basically mustered her way to becoming a tag team champion. <laughs> I love it. She said, "I'm your partner now," and she's like, uh, "You got to do audition." And she just snatched the belt and said, "No, I'm your partner now." And I'm like, Ooh. "Yes, girl, yes." That's what I'm talking about. I'm the captain now. That's your girl, though. That's your girl from NXT yes. UK. That's your girl. She said, I'm the captain now. All right. Now it's time to talk about NXT. NXT is the week before Heat Wave, which is supposed to be a yep. big show for NXT. We talk about opening up with the NXT Tag Team Championship match. Tony D'Angelo and Channing Stacks Lorenzo, the family, defending against the Dyad. And it was the Dyad looked like they were in control until the two men in Schism Mass supposedly the Creed brothers. Yeah. Cost them the matchup as the as a bada bing bada boom led to the family successfully defending. Push or bury, Seth. Look, good opening match for this. Things couldn't be more obvious that the Creeds are under those masks. Nothing else will be. The family are improving as champions and having the former gross of young veterans help them out greatly. Give it a push. Yep. Definitely giving it a push as well. I really enjoy the family. Like I, even though I picked against them uh, for them winning the championships, they're proving to be really good champions. All right, yep. next up, Dana Brooke was in action. A new, more aggressive Dana Brooke taking on the ultra aggressive and equally physical Blair Davenport. Pusher Barry. Good news, dominant win here for Blair Davenport. But champ, the bad news in trade though. I've seen better acting in shitty movies this year than I am seeing with Dana Brooke trying to turn heel. Small push. Okay. I'm giving this a push. It was match was fine, but I do agree. Like Dana Brooke trying to become go back to being a bad person. I just I'm just not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. I'm no. not feeling it. All right, next up, Trick Williams was in action, taking on Drew Gulak. Do you push or bury? You know, good W here for Trick on his way for his match against Dragonoff. 
He's still a bit ringed with the lessons of the PCOs working with people like Galak. Help him out greatly. Give it a push. Yeah, push this one as well. Uh, Trick Williams off on his own after deciding to uh, show that he's not a sidekick, but he's going to have yeah. a hard road to go against Ilya Dragunov next week. I'll tell you what. All right, we had a number one contenders match to determine who would be the next man to challenge that boy, that the man, him, Carmelo Hayes for the NXT Championship, Wesley versus Dijak, Pusher Barry. Goddamn, this was great. Not as solid as the match few backs on pay per few months back on pay per view, but this was poetry in motion. Big push bordering on mega push. I'm on a push border on a big push. I really thought it was good. Nothing spectacular, and it wasn't as good as their pay-per-view encounter for the North American Championship. I thought this was a mile, a few, a couple miles behind that one. So I saw him rocking with a, a push border on a big push, and then the main, um, then the main event segment where Wesley was not going to wait to sign the contract to determine who the, to have the match for the North for the NXT Championship. He made it happen, and man, oh man, they had a lot to say. So, Pusha Berry, our main event segment, the NXT title match contract signing. Strong promo by both men to set up their short build NXT match next week. Mella, shout out to TLC from Waterfalls. Big push. And if you didn't catch yeah. that, champ. I got to give this a big push as well. I just really enjoyed the words that they said to each other. I even mm -hmm. like the symbolism of, of Wesley uh, double stomping the table and breaking it and, and just standing right over, right in front of his, his, his the person he's challenging the champ for the championship to let him know, like, I'm coming. I'm coming for your championship. That's going to be a really good matchup. I yes. promise you it's going to be a matchup. All right. Kevin Burge provides us with the grades for this week's episode of NXT. And they we open with the NXT Tag Team Championship match. And he gave it a C plus. I agree. C plus. Dana Brooke, Kaylani Jordan versus Blair Davenport got a C minus. I agree. C minus. Oh, rough. Trick Williams versus Drew Gulak, who had a whole lot of people around him, had a C was got a C plus. I give it a B minus. It was a little bit better than that. Von Wagner talks Baron Corbett into a match at Heat Wave. That got a B plus. I give it a B. Um, Wagner is still sloppy on the stick, but Corbin behind the scenes, I hope gives him a little bit of promo lessons there. Number one contender for the NXT Championship, Wesley versus Dijak, got a B plus. A minus. Tyler Bate versus Joe Coffey, got a C minus. I give it a C, this match. Y'all go on Peacock Premium, look up NXT, Kate. Those guys had fucking bangers. Mia Hale versus JC Jane, got a C. Uh, I agree. See, Thea, you got to stop overreact. Stop overacting. Yeah. yeah, and then Wesley demands Carmelo Hayes show him respect in signing in the contract signing. Got a B plus, A minus. Love that segment. His thoughts on the overall show are as follows: "Quote, 
This was a building show. The action was not outstanding beyond Wesley versus Dijak, and that is an inevitable great match no matter when it happens. However, the stories continue to advance forward towards Heat Wave. The card NXT has put together looks good and highlights fresh talent. If what NXT has built pays off at Heat Wave, that could be a true breakout night for NXT. The show continues to rise in the ratings, aided by the presence of Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley, who will be back, be back in the building next week. NXT must be ready to go big, let the rising stars shine, and create moments that can last to no mercy and beyond. That is the legacy of the of this night, setting the stage for greater heights to come. Sprinkle a phenomenal Mustafa Ali promo on top because that should not be forgotten. End quote. The overall grade was a C plus. Sip. Before you give your thoughts in Europe's grade, what did you think about Ali's promo? Oh my God, that's that was awesome. I mean. We've been waiting for someone to show these kids how to fucking promo. That's one of the best promos in NXT with people that have come up back from the main roster down all fucking year. Oh. Here's yeah. what I think of here's what I think about the um the promo myself. That he tried this two years ago. Matter of fact, there is a he put the video out on social media two years ago on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I think you can search it out of this of this kind of similar gimmick that he wanted to do, but it didn't get off the ground, which is what led to him wanting his release from WWE. Yeah, and led to him sitting on the sidelines for months before they finally brought him back. He wanted to do this exact gimmick that he's doing right now. This man wouldn't give him the time of day for this, but guess what? Shawn Michaels is. Yep. Shawn Michaels is. Period. It's because he's got a brain. Yeah, exactly. So your thoughts and your grades, sir. The only problem I had was Dragon Lee and Lyra Valkyria backstage. Because WWE loves to exploit the language barrier and cultural differences between tag team partners. It's despicable how they continue with that trope. Overall, though, this was a good, that aside, this was a good episode of NXT. There is some work to be done seriously with Von Wagner on the mic. Thea Hale needs to stop her overacting because it's going to make people wane interest in her. However, reinventing the Garzas is a great idea, as well as having Mustafa Ali make us believe that he could dethrone Dirty Dom next week. Overall, solid build for Heat Wave this coming Tuesday night. C+. Yeah, it's funny because I actually read the reports that NXT's ratings have gone up significantly yes. since the Judgment Day. More, most notably, Dom and Rhea have been showing up weekly on NXT. They are they are a draw. Mm-hmm. They are a draw. It's unbelievable. They're a draw. Who knew? All right. This time two years ago, the Dominic Mysterio would be a draw. Anywhere. Yeah. I didn't see it. Nope. I didn't see it. Anyway. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about dynamite this week. It was fight for the fallen. And we start off with our opening matchup, which saw the pro, the protege take on the teacher. 
Orange Cassidy defending the international championship against Wheeler Yuta. Even like with no hardly any shenanigans, Orange Cassidy was able to withstand the challenge of Yuta to get his 29th consecutive successful defense of that championship. Push or bury our opening match. I know some people are tired of Orange Cassidy opening up Dynamite, but he's really helping kick things off here in a good way. Wheeler Yuta, solid opponent. Big push right out of the shoot. Yeah, I'm also giving it a big push, not only because the match was absolutely solid, really solid, but also the magnitude of the fact that this was the 29th consecutive successful title defense of this uh, for Orange Cassidy. Like, it just seems like he just continues to just get better and better and better. It's great. Mm-hmm. All right, we had a segment where Chris Jericho finally answered the question of whether he would join Don Callis's family. He said he would, but then Don Callis thought he wasn't and had a picture waiting for him, and it turned everything around. It led to Kanosuke Takeshi getting on the on the attack, and then Will Ospreay showed up, which set up their matchup for AEW's All In: Osprey versus Jericho. Push or bury this segment, Sith. You know, this was a good sport by Tony Khan here to have that painting where Callus was holding Jericho's head. Looks like we're back to babyface Jericho, which is good. Until the next reinvention, he wise big push. Big push. I'm also at a big push as well. I mean, this was absolutely well done, especially given the fact it came right off of the uh, – one-on-one sec- interview segment with JR and Kenny Omega Daily's place in which the Bang Bang Gang attacked him and things like yeah. that. So we had that happen, and then you had this happen. I mean, it was a lot. It was a it was a uh, segment-heavy night, this show. Yeah. All right, next up, we had the <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre death match. Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy. You got to do it, Sid. Fuck you. I wasn't leaving this off. Push or bury. Push or bury. Do it. What in the entire fuck is this shit? Look, this was as bad, if not a degree worse, than the zombie lumberjack match at Backlash 2021. Oh, fuck. I don't care who created this idea for a match. It was trash. Is having Leatherface as a baby face? What the fuck? Worst Worst mask and portrayal of Leatherface since Texas Chainsaw 3D in 2013. Bury this shit into the ground. Uh, Clip that. There were times I was watching this match. And it was, it just, I, I lost, I lost focus on paying attention to what was going on. <laughs> Next day, I know there are people with blood on them and all this other stuff. And I'm like, when, how did that happen? And I just didn't feel compelled to even rewind to see when it happened. I just did not give a rat's hairy ass about this match. It was two men, one north of 50 and one close to 50, trying to be hardcore with all of their friends involved. And I I'm just like I can't do it. Yeah. Please hand me, please hand me hand me the sho- hand me the goddamn shovel. Well. 
And it's rare for me to bury anything. I try to give any and everything, no matter how bad it is, the benefit of the doubt. But God damn it, I can't give this any benefit of any fucking doubt. This was absolutely hard to watch. And I would never want to watch no shit like this ever again. Okay? And we're going to move on before I get pissed off. We had the match to determine the final competitor in the fatal four-way for the AEW Women's World Championship at All In. It was Dr. Britt Baker, D. MD take it on the returning bunny who they started off shaking hands but then decided to just go out and just beat the shit out of each other. Yep. The bunny would end up falling to Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, no surprise there. And now Britt Baker will be in the fatal four way with Soraya and with Tony Storm challenging Hikaru Shida for the title at in London. Your thoughts? Push a berry. That lasts about as long as the main event last week. You know, go figure. A hey, champ, you know what the match time was? I'm I'm interested. Matter fact, let's, hold on. Let's 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 make hold on hold on. Let's make this oh, let's make okay. this a Saturday. Let's make this a Saturday. Yeah. Let's make this a Saturday. Doctor Britt Baker, D M D versus the Bunny. Went seven minutes, 25 seconds. And that is your match time alert for the stat of the day. Start of the day! Start of the day! Start of the day! Start of the day! The crowd was... Wow. Yeah. The crowd was dead-ass silent here because it followed one of the worst things you could ever follow it with. And... Match overall was good, but it was predictable. Give it a push. Yeah, I'm also pushing this as well. I mean, it was what it was. I can't say anything else about it. We all knew that Doctor Brit- that the good doctor was going to win this and be yeah. in a fatal four way. It wasn't going to be. You already are. You already pigeonholed your women's division uh, with the booking. You would have made that match almost not want to be watchable if you put the bunny in there and not put your face of your women's division, one of your biggest names in there, in front of 90,000 people at Wembley Stadium. I mean, come on. All right, next up, we had the Guns taking on the Bucks to figure out who is the best brother tag team in the world in AEW. The opening was funny as shit. They had the whole thing with the Bucks standing in there with the spotlight on, the camera wrapped around them, and then the camera wraps around. You see the Bucks in the background, and they just absolutely kicked the shit out of the fucking guns with uh, with super kicks. And the match was actually really good. Then after the matchup, though, we had some we had uh, more issues with the Bang Bang Gang and things like that. We had a, a big old big old brouhaha afterwards. But Pusha Berry, the Guns versus the Bucks main event plus aftermath. Solid main event that capped off Dynamite. Sure, people will look and say it's a predictable finish for the Bucks on their way to All In, but take a deeper look at the Guns. They have kicked things up several notches without their dad in their corner. Give this a big push. Yeah, I'm also giving this a big push. A really good matchup between these two teams and everything like that. They really engulfed in the in the Bullet Club gold sort of thing, which I like. Bang, bang, gang. Put your guns yeah. up. I like it. I'm, I'm with it. All right. We got grades here from Bleach Report for this uh, uh, event. And they are provided to us by... None other, oh, excuse me, none other than Doc Chris Mueller. 
Dog. Okay, there we go. All right, so we begin with Orange Cassidy versus Wheelie Yuta for the International Championship. He gave it a B. I give it an A minus. Okay. What will Chris Jericho do? He gave that segment a B. B plus. By the way, uh, Doc Chris makes a note here that the painting that was presented in this uh, segment was done by Mel Coleman, who you can follow on Twitter at Mel Coleman Art. Okay. All right. Gates of Agony versus Nick Wayne and Darby Allen got a B minus. I agree. B minus mainly because one of your six man tag team champions was penned. Jeff Hardy versus Jeff Jarrett, the Texas Chase Massacre death match. Wow, he was generous. He gave the C. F minus. The Bunny versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, got a C plus. I agree, C plus. And then the Guns versus the Yum Bucks got a B plus. I agree, B plus. And then his final word is as follows, quote, nobody is going to say this week's episode was the best, but it had enough to keep the average fan invested throughout most of the night. Yuta and Cassidy put on a fun match to get things going, and the Bucks and Guns closed the show with an energetic tag team bout. The theme Texas Chainsaw Massacre death match didn't exactly live up to the hype, but if you, if you like weird concepts and mayhem, you might get a kick out of it. The segment with Jericho and Callis is also one everyone should take the time to watch as it helps set up more than one potential match in the coming months. End quote. His final grade was a C plus. Sith, your thoughts? This, this is a case of a really good, good, decent, and one match that was just way the fuck out there to the point where I was just dumbfounded. This was a good lead-in for the all-in card, but I feel as though All Out will suffer from a lack of builds here. I could have done without the Texas Chainsaw Massacre matches. This will definitely be in the top five worst matches of the year easily. And note to Tony Khan, your lackadaisical booking of the women's division just absolutely sucks at this point. Dynamite gets a B-minus this week. Not the worst Dynamite episode, but one that was a good episode. I was brought down by pointless marketing. Hmm, Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree um, with that. All right. Although I will give Tony Khan credit. They made $100,000 and donated all that money to the Maui victims. So I'll give them that. Yeah, that, that was a good thing they did with that. But, yeah, uh, that Texas yeah. <laughs> Massacre death match needs to go straight in the bin. Anyway. <laughs> All right, now it's time for Impact Wrestling. As you as you know, we will not have grades for Impact Wrestling, but we still yep. have to push or bury something on this show. Now, first off, we open with Deanna Perrazzo taking on Kylie King. Now, I have to say this before I ask Sif his thoughts. How yep. in the hell is it that Deanna Perrazzo is a former three-time Knockouts World Champion, a former Knockouts Tag Team Champion, one of the faces of your women's division, and she got the jobber entrance. Yeah. How does that fucking make sense that she gets the jobber entrance when she's the face of the fucking division? That makes no fucking sense. Anyway, she faced Kylene King. She was they went back and forth before Venus de Milo by Diana Peraza spelled the victory for her over Kylene King. Push or Barry, 
Kylie King versus Deanna Peraza at the Open. Jabra and Trent's aside, this was a really good match between two former champions. Fun way to bring an impact. Overall, it showed the greatness of Perazzo. The future sprite for Kylan King. I give it a push because, as Champ said, you have all these accolades for Deanna Perazzo. Why did she get a Jabra entrance? Scott? <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't understand that either. Like, how is it she's already out there awaiting Kylan King when she has all these accolades, she's done all this stuff. I just don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. It just yeah. made no sense to me that that's what we get from – that's what we get to start off the freaking show. I just didn't understand that. Anyway, all right, next up we had ourselves a triple threat match uh, between three of the four that had uh, involvement of individuals who are part of the three of the four teams that'll be going after the Knockouts World Tag Team Championships at Emergence. We had one half of the champions, Killer Kelly. We had Jessica and we had Savannah Evans. Push or bury this triple threat match, Sip. And nobody should have killed Killer Kelly lose this match. And this was a fun matchup here. All three women looked good. Killer Kelly had her work cut out in a triple threat and it worked. Give it a push. You must be this tall to ride this ride. When Jessica said that to, Kev, to Killer Kelly, yes. I was on the floor. I was on the fucking floor. I said, no, this girl did not just say that to Killer Kelly. What the fuck? Yeah. I was on the floor. I thought that was the most hilarious shit in the world. She was much, she was up in Savannah's face, and Killer Kelly tried to separate them all calm, cool, collective. And then she yelled that out. I said, uh-uh, nah, I, that can't stand. All right, next up, after a backstage confrontation, Moose took on former IWGP Ooh. Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion Kevin Knight. Push or Barry Moose versus Kevin Knight. Uh, this match is one that was brought up by the director of authority, Santino Morella. And honestly, it was a really good match. Moose works well with all types of wrestlers. Kevin Knight looked really good here as well. Give it a push bordering on Big Push. Yeah, I'm giving this a push, also bordering on a big push. Um, I think people seen don't really understand, like Kevin Knight has such a such get yes. such height, especially on those drop kicks. It's just insane. And the fact that he was able to take uh Moose to his limit as a junior, taking a former multiple time impact world champion to his limit should tell you something. I'm going yeah. on a push border on a big push as well, but my goodness, there you go. All right. Next up, Bully Ray and Tar Black Tarus went at it in a no a no holds barred matchup. Uh what did you think about this one? Sith push or Barry? A push bordering on big push for a no DQ match that really had a lot of fun here. It's a match that won't be a top ten of the year, but if you want Bully and Tarus to go head on hardcore, you got it. Yeah, I'm also going to give this a push. I really, really enjoyed this match. Like, I really enjoyed this match a lot. And But the finish was kind of weird because uh, Tarus drove himself into a ladder yeah. and Bully just immediately pinned him and got the victory. I was like, wait, you're not going to hit, like, a big move to, like, really signify it? That's how you're going to win it? Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway. All right. And then, and then the afterwards, no selling the table, but he's Frankenstein in human form. Yeah, that was that was pretty funny. That was that yeah. was absolutely funny too though. Like PCO, he got put through the table and got right back up and said, "Nah, fuck that shit." <laughs> I thought that was great. I thought that was yeah. great. Anyway, 
Anyway, all right, our our main event is the number one is the the finals of the tournament to determine number one contenders for the Impact World Tag Team Championships and Subculture. It would be the Rascals taking on Sammy Callahan and Rich Swan. Sith, push or bury our main event. A big push. You had to figure that Miguel and Wentz were going to win here, but they went into a battle with Callahan and Swan. Odd pairing, but they work really well together. You knew that the that the Rass was gonna cheat to get that victory. Yep. Like there was no way around it. There was no way they were gonna beat Nine. two former impact world champions clean as a sheet and it was gonna be believable. So you knew they were gonna cheat. So they cheated, they got the victory, they're gonna go after subculture. Those those that's gonna be a lit matchup, subculture and the rascals. I'm giving this a big push as well. And again, no grades to speak of for this one, unfortunately, but um I, I okay, so Sith, I'm gonna ask you this hypothetically. Yeah, if you were giving grades for this one, what would you give it? What the show overall? Yeah, the show overall. Uh, B minus. I would say, I would say, I would say a B. Yeah, I would oh. say a B. And you know what? Props to Crazy Steve, they're doing a really good job with his rebooting. Yo, let me tell you something. That that interview he's doing with fucking um with Tom Hannafin, mm-hmm. my goodness. I, yo, when especially when he told the story about how he said that a couple of weeks before he signed his Impact Wrestling contract, his mother commit his, took his own, took her own life, yeah. man. That's fucking heavy, bro. That's heavy. Yes. Good God, yeah. That's heavy. That's heavy, but I mean, but he's really, he's really worked doing his, doing his thing in, in Impact Wrestling, and you know, I respect it. Yep, I respect it. All right, let's move on to SmackDown now. Smackity down, Smackity down, and Ooh. we open with the Grayson Waller effect, which featured the new United States champions uh, Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar. Sith, push or bury the opening. With the Grayson Waller effect. A fun and effective way to continue a possible slow drip and dissension between Ray and Santos Escobar. You're not seeing signs yet, but you're seeing a good slow burn here. Oh, and Waller telling Beth Phoenix to calm down because he likes hot moms. Oh, my God. Big push. Yeah, I'm rocking with the big push as well. Like, uh, he knows how to get the heat. He already has yes. had his dealings with Edge, so why not just take a shot at his wife? But, I mean, this is a really well-done segment. You even had Austin Theory get involved because, of course, he's mad that Ray got into the match instead of Santos. They showed that there's no friction between Santos and Ray yet. Yes. But then you had L.A. Knight. Yeah! And the pop that he gets when his music hits is just insane. Um, it sucks, though, that he and it, you know, it sucks what will happen next. But yeah, I mean, LA Knight really added to the segment, so big push. Speaking of which, LA Knight and Austin Theory would fight it out to determine who would get a shot at Rey Mysterio in that US title next. Rey, uh, Austin Theory would get the victory, albeit with a bit of help, but he got the victory. Push or Barry, LA Knight versus Austin Theory. Yeah. I give it a push bordering on a big push. This was a really good match. Distraction finish was needed. So that way you could keep LA Knight and Miz on a collision course. 
Absolutely. Same push. Same thing. You know, yeah, that's going to happen. They're going to face each other probably at payback, and it's going to be a really good matchup. So push. Yeah. All right. Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair teamed up. They took on the team of EO Sky, the new women's WWE Women's Champion, and Bailey. And guess who was at ringside with them? None other than Dakota Kai. Do, 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 do. Dakota Kai. Do, 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 do. Dakota Kai. Do, 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 Yeah. Push or bury this women's tag team encounter. You know, solid women's tag team matchup as a Ken Day coexist trope continues here. Love to having Bailey trying to coach EO and it backfiring as we're back on track now with their tension at the end of the day. Hopefully, with a Lashley led stable coming around soon, Bianca Belair can turn heel. Give it a big push. I'm with the, I'm with the regular push boarding on a big push. It was really well done, and the whole can they coexist thing is really a, a, a good thing. And I mean, you know, they they played it actually much better because it wasn't that they were at each other's throats, but you could tell that you know their their, their chemistry is not the way it should be for a tag team. So there you go. Yeah. Then we had a segment in which Paul Heyman would not give an update on what's going on with the bloodline. But it was a very short but very straightforward sort of thing. Sith, the Paul Heyman segment, Pusher Berry. WWE gets it. This was a great way to keep the family drama that's unraveling, unraveling off screen. Have Paul make a coy statement to Kayla Braxton that Jimmy will be here next week and keep people invested. You don't need to have the bloodline drama front and center. Give this a mega push. I'm giving this a big push, bordering on a mega push. It was well done, but not to the level that it pushes it over the boundary. But it was well done. And again, as Sith alluded to, it keeps the family drama at the forefront without even having them present on the show. So I definitely give this a big push, bordering on a mega push. But then we would have our main event. Edge celebrating 25 years oh. in the WWE, having his match with Sheamus, his family's at ringside, his trainer's at ringside. Sith, I'm just going to go out and ask, push or bury Edge versus Sheamus, our main event? On air. We didn't know this was going to be the last match of Edge at all, period. And we're so unsure at this point. That said, this is definitely the best TV match of the year. And also to take things a step further, this is a top 10 match of the year. Both guys put on a ring general show to wrap up SmackDown. Edge got a win in his hometown of Toronto. Come on. You, you got to give this a mega push, folks. You do. Even Whitney said yes. <laughs> I'm not yeah. even going to waste any time. This is going to get my first mega push of the week. There's no reason to even, there's no reason to even waste any time in announcing that. This match ruled. Yes. This match ruled. Look. Everything about this entire segment was great. I'm even giving this a mega push despite the fact they went to not one but two commercial breaks during this matchup. Yeah. Right? Not one, but two. But it still was that good. 
that I still had to give it the top rating. The entrance for Edge, I mean, Sheamus came out to a pretty decent pop, but then as his music ended, you could tell that everybody was anticipating of hearing, you think you know me, and just going crazy. They even started chanting this day before, not even give them time to like yeah. let the music start. They just let that build and build and build, and then you think you know me, and the explosion. And, every, and he comes out with the Toronto Maple Leafs colors on, and it was awesome. It was awesome. The you know having Bethy Auntie Bethy in the in the front row with the kids and his trainer who he said in a promo he off uh, after the show he said that that the gentleman that he he was showing love to that was next to his wife was his trainer the man who trained him he said he trained him for free yep he trained him for free and it's because of him that he's where he's at now everything about this was awesome period everything it about was. this was awesome everything. All right, let's get the grades here for SmackDown, courtesy of Bleacher Report and Eric Beeson. We begin with our, let's see, the, tor- the uh, Grayson Waller effect with Rey Mysterio and uh, Santos Escobar got a B. Uh, B plus. Next, L.A. Knight versus Austin Theory for opportunity the U.S. Championship. That got a B. I agree, B. Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair versus Damage Control got a B plus. I agree, B plus. The Street Profits versus the OC that got a B. Uh B plus, and I like the new finisher for the Street Profits. Mm-hmm. Paul Heyman provides an update on the Bloodline that got an A. A easily. Edge versus Sheamus got an A plus. A plus, big time. And then the overall grade from Eric is quote: Friday's show was built on celebrating 25 years of Edge and WWE, and it did just that with super, with superbly produced video packages and unforgettable entrance that was elevated by one of the loudest pops in recent memory and a main event befitting the Hall of Famer and future inductee in it. The women's taxi match was a quality bout and the SmackDown creative forces did a solid job of getting Rey Mysterio, Santos Escobar, LA Knight, Austin Theory, Grayson Waller, and The Miz all on television despite time being at a premium. There was little in the way of development for the upcoming payback card, but there did not have to be. Tonight was Edge's night. He, his family, and his fans deserved it, end quote. The overall grade was an A+. This show was actually a very solid episode of SmackDown, where honestly, the Bloodline story was staying fully in the background, and a lot of good time was set up for your main event, which is an instant classic. New look for the Street Profits, renewed turmoil and damage control, solid opening state uh, segment with Grayson Waller effect, and a contender Spanto is really good with the distraction finish to continue with another story. Great Edge tribute as well. A plus. Everything just fell into place here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now for Rampage. Rampage on Friday night. And we open with a Lucha Libre banger. <sighs> Commander taking on Ray Fenix, Sith, Push or Barry. This was a fun opening matchup. When you have two renowned luchadors, have Alex Abrahantis out there just hyped for both guys. Fun clash of the luchadors. We needed this more than we match more than we need to admit. 
Mega push. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This gets my second mega push of the week. If, you, yeah. if you're not a fan of Lucha Libre wrestling, this match, you thought this part, you probably thought this match sucked. But if you're like myself, who is a fan of a lot of different styles of wrestling, including Lucha Libre, this match ruled. This match was awesome. This match was amazing. And this is for an episode of Rampage. This is an hour program. And this is awesome. Period. Next. Aussie Open, a a little over a week before they defend the ROH World Tag Team Championships in the zero hour of All In, they took on the team of Ethan Page and Brother Zay, Isaiah Cassidy. Pusher Berry, this tag team title match. A uh, fun tag team matchup that kept out. It kept Aussie open strong. Had some good work with Paige and say, "Oh, the chemistry is a bit off." Give it a push, bordering on a mega push. I mean, I'm also push giving bordering this a, on big. Oh, I'm giving this a big push. This is a really, oh, really cool. nice matchup. I really enjoy the work that Aussie Open does, and Ethan Page has, even though you know he's done well at singles, but he's proven how good of a tag team wrestler he is. Same with Isaiah Cassidy. Yeah, the chemistry was a little bit off, but not that much off that mm-hmm. they were a, they were able to hang with a very good team in Aussie Open. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to add this in here because I thought it was very intriguing. The Righteous were made an appearance on the show and cut a promo. Of course, one of the members of The Righteous is someone very familiar to everybody. That's none other than Stu Grayson. Yeah. What did you think about the promo, Sith? Push or Barry? Give it a push. I really like Stu away from Dark Order, if that makes any sense. He's really coming out into his own. Give it a push. I just like the the word the wordplay of Vincent and just the like Stu just standing mm-hmm. back there all menacingly and the other guy standing there menacingly and stuff like that and just Vincent just talking and the word it was just great I thought it was good push yeah all right Sammy Guevara made an appearance on the show he took on John Cruz in what was a very very short matchup push or Barry a uh, quick squash for Sammy Guevara, but I have to wonder, is he going to turn on Jericho and join the Callis family, which would be a major swerve given that Sammy has been inside of Jericho throughout his AEW career? Give it a push. Yeah, I'm also giving it a push. Yes, it was short, but Guevara is still impressed, and he's really laying on the babyface charm, even though it could be a, a clear sign that he could be turned turning on Jericho and joy and going back heel, which is his natural alignment, honestly. Yeah. If we're gonna be honest. All right. Yeah. And then our main our main event saw the outcast Tony Storm and uh, Ruby Soho taking on the team of Sky Blue and the AEW women's world champion Hikaru Shida. Push or bury our main event, which included a post match brawl between the four, the four women that are going to be a part of this match, this match upcoming. Uh, yeah, I give it a good push, bordering on big push for both. Good main event, although we had the return of the spray can, but at least it didn't affect the end of the match. The brawl was a good way to get us a preview of the Fatal Four Way next Sunday. 
Yeah, push as well. I like the fact that, you know, Hikaru Shida's having a matchup uh, in the run-up to the uh, pay-per-view instead of just sitting back and chilling until the pay-per-view. So I think that's really good. So I give it a push. All right, the group. Grace from Bleacher Report, courtesy of Doc Chris Mueller. Mueller's busy, been busy this week. Holy shit. Doc is busy this week. Cool. Amanda versus Ray Phoenix got an A minus. I'd give it an A. Aussie Au- Open versus Ethan Page and Brother Zay. That got a B. I agree. B. Uh, Guevara versus Cruz and then the Outcast is Hikaru Shida. Uh, the Guevara match got it incomplete because it was a squash. He said he said the match was shorter than Guevara's entrance, which he wasn't True. wrong. And then the main event got a C plus. I give both. I give. Um, excuse me. I give Guevara Cruz a C plus. I give a B to Sheeta. You know, in blue versus the outcasts. Yep, and the final word from Doc Chris, quote, This week's Rampage was a decent episode from an in-ring perspective, but it wasn't without its faults. The match Guevara had was not necessarily at all, was not necessary at all, and could have given another match a few extra minutes. Aussie Open and Phoenix's wins were easily the biggest highlights of the night and definitely worth checking out if you didn't watch live. With All In and All Out right around the corner, AEW is doing a lot of planning Things seem to be shaping up, and so a- so AEW might be able to pull off back-to-back pay-per-views that make the fans happy. The final grade, in quote, the final grade was a B minus. Okay, another sleeper thing. Rick Baker's promo, which was a good promo and a good change of pace because Britt didn't cut down the opposition like she usually does. So Frunch came off as a big baby face. But Rampage overall, only two low points for me. QTV, which Champ knows I hate. And also, there was no need for Sammy Guevara to have a glorified squash. Overall, really good episode of Rampage. DC got Aussie Open's match, as well as Commander versus Ray Phoenix. I give it a B minus. Yeah, that's that's good. And now, really quickly, guys, here is your AEW collision push a berry report for this week coming up right now welcome ladies and gentlemen to this week's edition of the aew collision push or bury report for this week for the episode that aired on august the 19th 2023 let's get started we opened up the show with the bang bang gang themselves jay white the leader of bullet club gold taking on dalton castle who was accompanied of course by the boys jay white had the rest of the bang bang gang in his quarter juice robinson the guns as well as what is he called uh pad blade or something like that Card blade, yeah, card blade, card blade. There you go. Well, they were all there. Jay White and Dalton Castle put on a really, really good matchup. Dalton Castle is one of the most underrated uh, performers in professional wrestling. I feel like his world title run when he was the Ring of Honor World Champion was a bit marred because he was hiding a very severe back injury and working through a very severe back injury. But I think if you get this Dalton Castle and put the world title on him, I think you'll get a much better reign than you got from him before. But really good matchup, so much so. It gets a big push from me, really solid. Of course, Jay White would go on to win it. And then afterwards, we move on to... To there was an interview in the ring with Tony Schiavone and the Bullet and Bullet Club Gold, where they decided they wanted 
Juice and the Guns. They wanted a warm-up match before they faced the Elite on Wednesday on Dynamite. And out came the Iron Savages with their uh, with their buddy there, and they decided to accept the challenge, and they would have a matchup. This match gets a push. This is a fine matchup, a fine trios matchup. Uh, you had to figure that the Iron Savages were going to take the L here because of the fat Bullet Club goes going into a match against Kenny Omega and the Bucks uh, this coming Wednesday night. So they got the victory there. So it gets, again, a push from me. All right, our lone women's match was a follow-up from a rivalry that started to arise within the women's division, which is Willow Nightingale taking on Diamante. As you know, last week, Diamante and Mercedes Martinez uh, were victorious in a tag match against Willow Nightingale and the TBS champion Chris Statlander. Now, this week, Willow had it going one-on-one, and it looked like Willow was going to uh, fall to a two-on-one disadvantage with Mercedes Martinez coming down to ringside uh, late in the matchup. But the TBS champion would get would make it even. It would lead to Willow hitting the babe with the power bomb, which is the doctor bomb with a clever name. And Willow Nightingale got the victory, and the faces stood tall. This gets a push. This was a pretty good matchup. Uh, again, you know, nothing too spectacular, but very simple and straightforward. So it definitely gets a push. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs was in action in what was pretty much a glorified squash match against Kevin Koo. But the reason why I wanted to make mention of this was because of the fact that after Powerhouse Hobbs absolutely demolished uh, this guy, he uh, he would then be interrupted at the end of the match by one Miro who cut one very, very well done promo. Uh, basically saying that, you know, you may worship God, but I'm God now. So um, accepting the challenge. Of, of powerhouse house for all out in chicago the week after all in so this gets a push bordering on a big push if the match had gone a little bit longer i think that this would have got big push all the way but it gets a regular push bordering on that because of miro's promo and how just awesome it was with, with the words that he used and then our main event we see Darby Allen taking on Christian Cage, the self-proclaimed TNT champion, with the actual TNT champion, Luchasaurus, in his corner. This was a really, really good matchup. They were going back and forth. Christian still has it. Uh, this You wouldn't tell that. You know, this guy had a seven-year layoff due to multiple concussions and only just came back two, three years ago. You wouldn't, you would think he would have been wrestling straight through for the last seven, eight, nine years. But it was. Christian Cage looked good. Darby Allen looked real good. Luchasaurus got involved and got caught and got thrown out. And that led to Christian falling to a nice little uh, pinning, uh, pinning combination. And Darby Allen was able to get the win. Uh, then Darby would try to talk on the microphone, but then Luchasaurus would return. Christian Cage would ambush him from behind, and they would uh, jump Darby Allen. They would force Tony Schiavone to count the pinfall, and Christian Cage and Luchasaurus would stand tall. And this one, this gets a big push, boarding on a mega push. It was that good. It almost got to the mega push stage, but just fell a little bit short. But it was a really well done uh, matchup, and it shows that Darby Allen has such a long and arduous road ahead because this Wednesday he's teaming with Nick Wayne to take on AR Fox and uh, Swerve Strickland. Then he's got 
Swerve and, uh, and AR, uh, along with uh, his partner Sting, in a coffin match at All In. And then he has the All Out title match with Luchasaurus. All right, as always, we have the grades for AEW Collision, Fight for the Fallen, from our good friends at Bleacher Report and Doc Chris Mueller, who has had a busy, busy week this week. So he gave the opening match of Jay White versus Dalton Castle a B. Plus, uh, also just a bit not- a notable thing is that the show opened what was supposed to be a match between Samoa Joe and someone called the Golden Vampire, but the Golden Vampire turned out to be CM Punk who accepted Joe's challenge for All In in, uh, in London. So there you go. But again, B plus for our opening match. Bullet Club Gold versus the Iron Savages got a B minus. We got Big Bill versus Derek Neal in what was a squash match, so that ended up getting an incomplete. But Willem Nightingale versus Diamante got a B. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs versus Kevin Koo also got an incomplete. But And then our main event, Darby Allen versus Christian Cage got an A-. Minus. And the final word from Dr. Chris Mueller is as follows, quote, This week's collision had a lot to like, but it also had some fill- filler that felt totally unnecessary to the overall show. Castle and White opened the show with a great match, and the closer between Cage and Allen got the crowd on his feet chanting, this is awesome. The two squash matches we saw could have been combined to give someone, someone one decent match, but AEW has been using squashes for a long time, so they just come with the territory at this point. The fact that AEW is building two pay-per-views at once and actually has fans excited for both has been impressive to watch, especially since the weekly shows have still been good, too. AEW had a bit of a slump earlier this year, but it seems to be back on the right track, end quote. His final grade was a B. And with that, that has been your AEW collision push or bury report for this week. Make sure you check us out on social media. As always, we continue with the podcast. All right, that was your AEW Collision Push or Bury Report for this week for our audio listeners. And that ends our week in review for this week. Now it's time for final thoughts. Uh, it's the a part of the show where we end off by talking about things either wrestling-related or non-wrestling-related and plug whatever podcast we have upcoming. So, of course, we're going to start off with the Dark Sith Lord himself. Sith, the floor is yours. Okay, so with all-in smashing sales records for pro wrestling at Wembley Stadium, I thought it'd be fair to address some criticisms here big time. You see, some people are coming out and saying that AEW didn't move all these tickets, and others are saying that in no way did WWE could move these tickets at all. And I'm here to say to people, chill the fuck out. You see, friends, the British wrestling fan doesn't care about which promotion is coming over from outside of Europe. The fans are going to see the shows no matter what the promotion is. It doesn't matter if it's AEW, WWE, Impact, New Japan, etc. When shows come to Great Britain, the fans come out in force because they are non-discriminatory about their pro wrestling at the end of the day. When the tickets went on sale for All In, they went out like gangbusters at the end of the day. That's before a single fucking match was put in place. Hell, we were still in the build for AEW Double or Nothing when tickets went on sale in London for All In 2023. Forbidden Door 2 wasn't even in the building stage card rise on TV when May the 5th of this year came out and the tickets went on sale for All In. Sure, there was rampant speculation as to what matches would be on the card for All In, 
but those tickets went out quick. The record set by SummerSlam was broken late last week. And what you had were tribal fans online acting like complete assholes. You had the WWE marks out saying that Tony Khan bought out most of the tickets and totally discounting the credibility of the fans of Great Britain. On the other end, you had AEW marks out there saying that there's no way WWE could sell out Wembley like this now that AEW has done better. It's sad and sickening to say the least. Look, I get the need to wear the cape for your favorite wrestling promotion, but some people need to chill the fuck out here. SummerSlam 1992 is known for being one of the best WWE pay-per-views ever. Although here in the U.S., we didn't get that pay-per-view until later that night. It was still one of the best wrestling pay-per-views ever. I am not going into All-In next Sunday thinking that SummerSlam 92 will be eclipsed in greatness, but I'm here to say that this pay-per-view, AEW has a chance here to make a solid statement. With all the ups and downs over the first four years, AEW has a chance to put itself on the international map big time. I know that All Out is a week later, and I've said this already, but AEW needs to strongly consider a $70 to $75 bundle for those with BR Live or Pay-Per-View so they can watch both cards and not pay over $100 for two pay-per-views here in the States. WWE does this with two nights of WrestleMania for those who won't get Peacock, and AEW should consider that for these back-to-back pay-per-views on back-to-back weekends. Here is to AEW for coming out and killing it as far as how fast these tickets went, as far as goes to Wembley. Here's hoping in eight days... We are going to get one hell of a banger of a pay-per-view that Champ and I will live react to. It's a historic time for pro wrestling, my friends. And the tribal fans just need to stop already. And that, my friends, is my final thought. Uh, Tomorrow on Spotify in the Basement. Well, last week was the best films of my high school years. Now it's time for the worst. Woof. That's it, Spaceman, tomorrow on Spotify. That all said, Champ, I yield the floor, homie. So coming off the heels of being uh, of doing an interview for an article that came out in the Washington Post this week, if you're here in the local, local area, you probably already read it by now, uh, which I did with my younger brother and my father about growing up in Southeast and, and his experiences and being able to keep us from some of the pitfalls of growing up in such a neighborhood and also doing this project of rewatching the big four pay-per-views from 1999. I did a little bit of reminiscing and I remember 1999 quite, like, quite a bit. I was finishing up, like, with, with WrestleMania and R- Royal Rumble, I was finishing up my time at Bishop McNamara High School. Yep, I went, this was my final year of going to Catholic school after going to Catholic school from first grade to 11th grade. At the time, I did not know that I would be transferring from Bishop McNamara and going to public school for the first time since kindergarten. But during that summer... I got to really get like really get invested in wrestling. Of course, we had the corporate ministry storyline. We had the union story, the union feud with the cor- corporate ministry. We had all kind of things going on when it came to professional when it came to wrestling. 
And then in the fall, I find out that I'm going to a public school, Blue Senior High School. And I mean, it just it was it was a culture shock going from a Catholic school and wearing a uniform every single day, having my hair be done a certain way and look a certain way to going to a school where I could dress any way I want to and things like that. I still had braces. I'm in a school where I know nobody except my younger brother who had just came, started high school that same year. And it was a culture shock. But I also remembered how unique wrestling was in 1999. So I tie all that in to say, like, you know, yeah, a lot of we said early on that a lot of those a lot of those matches and a lot of those events didn't really age that well because of what's what where we are in the world today. But they still hold a special place in my heart because it helped me to get through transitioning from being a Catholic school kid to having to be in a public school environment and having to adjust to a public school environment. Wrestling was there to help me. I remember going over friends' houses for those pay-per-views and watching them on his TV. We would sit in, in the basement of his, of his parents' uh, house, and we would sit there and we would watch the pay-per-views. And then I would just literally walk back to my house and just go to bed, happy that I got to watch a WWF pay-per-view and didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> so that, was the way, that was the way of the world. But, you know, it's something that I, it's, it's something that I do miss. I miss the, you know... Being able to go to friends' houses and watch WWF pay-per-views and just be cracking jokes and stuff like that. And then just go home and then wake up the next day and go talk about it at school. I miss that. Which is why I always enjoy doing the live stream reactions with Sith and in some cases either Donnie and or Sage when they join. Because it feels just like what, what it was back when I was in high school. Sitting around with my friends, cracking jokes, and watching wrestling. The only difference now is I'm old enough to drink and smoke. And so I drink and smoke while I watch wrestling. But it's just, you know, I just wanted to reminisce about that because of the fact that I did do an article. I did do an interview for an article that came out this week in the Washington Post that was uh, mostly a focus on my dad, on my father, and also just featured myself and my younger brother. So uh, if you are local to the to the area, you can check out the Tuesday edition of the Washington Post. And uh, Tuesday, it came out Tuesday night digitally, and it came out physically on Wednesday. Uh, but I'm very proud of that article, and I'm very proud of the, the, the man that I've become, thanks to my father and my mother and their efforts to keep myself and my brother from those pitfalls of the streets. And now I'm here to be able to talk to you guys on a, on a platform like this and to just have fun with it. So that's my final thought, ladies and gentlemen. And just to let you know, uh, a tentative return for me and the Sports on the Hill podcast is looking like September the 11th is when I will be returning to the Sports on the Hill podcast, which means that I will be, for the, for the next several months, be doing back-to-back -back nights of streams and podcasts uh, for, uh, for various things. I'll be doing the weekly wrestling podcast Sunday night, and then Monday night I'll be doing the Sports on the Hill podcast covering the Washington Commanders, who this week uh, announced that Sam Howell is QB1 for the Commanders going into their season opener against the Arizona Cardinals uh, on September the 10th. So big thing here. So I will be returning. It look, it's look like September the 11th will be the return date for the Sports on the Hill podcast with uh, Robbie G, myself, 
as well as other special guests to cover the Commanders. And then I will stay on to cover not only the Commanders, but also the Wizards when their season begins in November as well. And then I will then hopefully with the XFL if the XFL comes back I will be with the defenders uh, talking about the defenders as well. Uh, but that's about it for that. As you know, we will be back uh, at our normal day and time next week to give a preview for All In on on the twenty seventh. We will also be um, talking about. Uh, the week uh, that the week that that is and all the all the final builds and the go home shows to all in on dynamite rampage and of course uh collision we will also be uh doing a live reactions to uh aew's all in uh, event on the 27th it'll be an afternoon uh live stream so that'll be something so uh, the podcast may or may not be delayed we'll have to see how that goes again i gotta be you know we we do post-production recording for the report for all for uh collision so it goes out on, on, on our audio platforms, but that I, that I usually do after I watch it. So I'm ha- because the event starts at 1 p.m., I have a very small window to watch Collision because I know I'm not going to get up early enough to watch it. I'm going to have a small window to watch Collision, then report record the report, edit it into the audio, upload the audio and then all that other stuff so i have a very small window so we'll we'll keep you informed either via social media or or when we go live on on sunday to let on that sunday to let you know if the podcast will come out later or not uh but just know that all of our predictions for that show will be on our facebook page so that way you'll have reference on what we picked and how we're looking with that so speaking of which make sure you check us out on social media facebook.com slash no spots pod twitter.com slash no true no spots pod Twitch.tv slash True No Spots Pod and TikTok.com slash at True No Spots Pod. And make sure you check out Sith on social media on Twitter and TikTok at True Sith Dance 74. And make sure you check out Sage, our New Japan analyst on Instagram. I woke up as this guy named Sage with underscores after each word. And that's it. And that's all we have for you on the podcast. Any final words, Sith? I, yeah. Go see Oppenheimer if you haven't already, switching out the set of PLF and IMAX. And for God's sake, I said this earlier on, I'm going to say this on TikTok tomorrow. You air cut people, y'all need to chill the fuck out. Mm. Yep. And, uh, my final word, my final word is I can't wait for my Taco Bell to get here. I can't wait to eat <laughs> my dinner and then worry about editing this long ass podcast. Uh, thankfully we, it will be broken apart. So hopefully you yeah. guys enjoy it and we will see you guys next week. We will, we hope will be a shorter podcast because it we're not going to be. be covering four fucking pay-per-views in one segment. Anyway, for our audio listeners, thank you for listening. Take care. And we will see you guys next week. Take care. Peace out. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, it's Champ here. We hope you enjoyed that episode of No Spots Podcast. If you did, make sure you are following us so you can be notified when we upload new episodes. And make sure you follow us on all social media platforms, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as on Twitter, at truenospotspod. We will catch you on the next episode. Myself, Donnie Wrestling, and The Sith for the No Spots Podcast on the True Radio Network.